This episode of the AFTN Soccer Show is brought to you by Recovery Family Law. Recovery Family Law is here to help you solve your family law problems. If you are going through a separation or divorce, they can provide you the confidence to make good decisions and support to enforce your rights. If you have a question about property, children or support, they have the answers. It's not too late or too early to get help. Email info at recoveryfamilylaw.ca or visit recoveryfamilylaw.ca and let their team get you excellent results. Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. back my friends to the show that never ends there's still time the AFTN soccer show broadcasting on CITR radio 101.9 FM from the unceded Musqueam territory at the University of beautiful wintry mixy British Columbia I'm Michael McCall and I'm Zachary Adam Eisenhower and of course we have another packed show for you this week heavy on the Whitecaps chat and MLS chat, but we'll also be looking around some of the other stories in Canadian soccer. We'll hear a little bit from Whitecaps CEO and Sporting Director Axel Schuster and Scotty Arfield, the Canadian Scottish internationalist who was on the pitch briefly on Saturday against the Whitecaps for, for Charlotte. A lot to talk about, a lot to bring you. And I mentioned at the start there about a wintry mix. My phone did a, an update a couple of days ago, and now I just keep getting weather things as part of the update. And it's just constantly been saying, wintry mix starting in an hour, wintry mix coming. <laughs> and I keep looking out, and there's been no wintry mix. I've been quite disappointed. Have you avoided the snow out in Abbotsford? No, oh, not where I live. Ah. My wife... My- my wife texted me today. I was in another community in the Lower Mainland. She's like, "Is it snowing there?" And I was just like, "No." <laughs> She's like, "It's slushy up here on our on the mountain." Ah, I was like, See, "Oh." I I went and, and then, put gas in the car tonight, and the car in front of me was like covered in snow. And I was like, "Where the hell has he been?" Well, I, I the same thing. I went to uh, when I got back to Abbotsford today, uh, like around six o'clock today. I went to watch a student's uh, a cup match. And uh, the second half, because I yeah couldn't make it there for the first. But um, when I pulled in the parking lot, yeah, one of the cars in front in front or in front of me was covered in snow. <laughs> I was like, like okay, it, yeah. So yeah, no, there's some, some snow out here. But then where I was watching the game, there was no snow. So 
very odd. How's your week been apart from that? Very, very, very full. Very good, but very full. I've had quite a quiet week, really. I had my two weeks where I'm going to be doing a lot of stuff back in, in Scotland. Fly off very soon. By the time some of you listen to this, I might even be on a plane. Who knows? Depends when we, we get this to come out. But yeah, I've had a quiet week, thankfully, just kind of relaxing a little bit and doing a few interviews for the this week, next week, the week after. We're way ahead with stuff for the shows. Yeah, we're going to just get to the football chat really early this week because we've got so much to talk about. The Whitecaps finally got to kick off the MLS season after all the weeks of waiting, the hopes, the expectations, the good ship SS Whitecaps sadly didn't inspire, kicking off their 2024 campaign with a one-all draw at home to Charlotte in front of nearly 30,000 fans, a fantastic turnout for the match. And I'm calling them the SS Whitecaps, with the SS standing for slow start. Uh, interesting. Yeah, there's a lot of, lot of places I could have gone with that, but we're going with slow start. Because it's the one thing the Whitecaps didn't want, was another slow start. And the Tigris games, I, I, I genuinely think... Having that week off last week was a killer for them. They were yeah. looking good after the Tigers games. They were hungry. Things were working well. And then they've had to basically go back into a little pre-season mode. And again, that's only because of the Rugby Sevens, right? That was why they couldn't get the home game. There's home game, no yeah. reason why they couldn't yeah, get an away game, I guess. It, but... It, but the Rugby Sevens also, didn't, didn't, haven't they moved a week earlier? They used to be the first week of March. Yeah, now I they think were, they have. Yeah. And the Rugby Sevens nearly weren't coming back to Vancouver. There was talk last year that oh, last right, year right. might have been the last one, but it was another great event, and you want these events in Vancouver. So I thought, that's not too bad. It'll give them a bit of a break, chance to work on some things. But they were a little bit sluggish, and it was a, it was a bit of a lacklustre game. Charlotte came to BC Place, looked the, the better team. They were on the front foot. Whitecaps weren't really creating much. Charlotte went ahead. That kind of gave the Whitecaps a bit of a kick. I don't think they deserved to, to go in at the half on level terms. But by the end of the 90 minutes, they definitely deserved a, at least a point. You've stolen my word. Bit lackluster, but not surprising for an early season fixture is what I what I said to you earlier today. I love the word lackluster. Yeah, it's a good one. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, it's weird that they looked a little bit off considering that they had extra time to prepare because it did feel, I remember the Tigris games, to me, Michael, felt like they were, like, helpful. And, and I mean, yeah. the, I mean, the... Uh, like you, I think you said multiple times in the show, you know, they had three respectable or three good halves of football against Tigris. And I, I thought the whole game in, in, in Langford, they were showing like great signs of their season has started and they're all the talk about getting off on the right foot and all that kind of stuff. Like they were living it out. Um, and yeah, that, that first home game in the league did was disappointing. I think for people, right? Like it wasn't, it wasn't the, it wasn't the the temple of football that uh, I think this side has shown in uh, well, definitely last year, but even mm. for the last couple of years. And I, I know that there's been some 
injuries that kind of affected the, the midfield in particular. And yeah. the back line, Matthias Laborda was suspended for this one after the Tim, Tim Ford stuff at the end of, of right. last season and the swarming of the referee and everything that went with that. So Javain Brown came in, who I thought had a, an absolutely excellent game today, and it's certainly going to give mm-hmm. Vanny some something to think about as to, to what he moves forward for for the game next week. But we'll, we'll come to that in a bit. The the front three just fell off today. Demir Krylak, everyone knows what a huge fan I am of him, scored for RSL this time a year ago when when RSL came to the home opener at BC Press. Oh, yeah. And he just did not have a sniff today. And Brian White had a couple of half chances, but didn't really ha- have much either. Ryan Gold was kept pretty quiet. It was a bit disappointing from the front three. Yeah, I think so. But I think that's the, it's like there's the players themselves and the coaches are still trying to figure out the best way to use those three players. Because mm. I think the way it was lined up in sort of a 3-4-3, three, three, I don't know that's the best. I think you need to kind of drop gold uh, drop gold deeper, right? And have maybe the other two up, up top. Well, um, we had a a tactical chalkboard thing with yes, Vanny on yes. Friday. So he he has a 3-4-3 three, three that they're looking at when they're defending. And then when they're attacking, depending on who the opposition is and what personnel is going to be there, he has three different formations that the team will then move into. And it's as you say, it's fitting the right pieces into those those formations. It, it, it's tough because they linked up well in Langford against Tigris and at times mm-hmm. down in Mexico as well. But today they, they didn't seem on the same page. They didn't seem at the races. And you saw a big difference when Fafa Pico came on in the second half. Yeah. He added something a little bit different, a bit of pace that really, really caused some issues. And the fleeting cameo from Levante Johnson, who gets mm-hmm. brought on three, three, four minutes into stoppage time. And what he showed in those three minutes where he had a couple of times on the ball when he caused a few issues, yeah, you, you think, what, what could have happened if he'd been on in the 80th minute? Yeah, oh, totally, yeah. Yeah, I think one of the most uh, significant parts of of modern football is pace is speed and when you don't have it it allows teams to uh whether they have it or whether you know it allows them to to be able to react easier and quicker and uh prepare um i think prepare for you a, a little bit better i know i'm, <laughs> I'm experiencing that at, at you know at Bayern with with all a number of their pacey players not being available um but yeah, I, I still think, aside from what Vanny said to you guys uh, in the the chalk talk on Friday, I think they they need to f- they need to do more to figure out how to get the best out of those front three if they're going to be the primary front three uh, for this first whatever half of the season or I, more. I, I definitely think we might see Demir and Fafa just interchanging depending on who's in form and who's going to come off the bench and. We'll hear a little bit from Axel in the next part, but Axel said he had a chat with both of them about what the roles would be, 
And they both know we're older players now. We know we might have to be off-the-bench guys, and they're both happy with that. But they are also both hungry to show that mm-hmm. they are also starters. So that competition's good, and you kind of want a little bit of that. At, at the back, I think it's very exciting competition now as well, because you've got Utvik, you've got Bilal Halbuni that's come in, Javain Brown. I, I think if Laborda had been good to go today, and maybe this is what we'll see in a game at some point, Javain Brown, for me, would have been the guy I would like to have seen as as the right wing back. Yeah. So when when Vanny was talking to us yesterday, he told he told us the team. And he'd gone through everyone and shown where different folks were going and he hadn't mentioned who the right wing back was going to be. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's very interesting. He's mentioned every other player, but not that. And then he said after going through lots of stuff. So then we come to right wing back and a surprise and I went, ah, it's Ali, he's fit to go. And he wrote A, and I was like, it is Ali. And then S, and I was like, huh? And then when he said it's Alessandro Schopf, we were kind of like looking at each other. He's like, I can see the confusion in the room. Yeah, not a good surprise. <laughs> he just felt that he had the technical sense to play that position. But obviously defensively, he maybe doesn't bring what they need for that position, which is why a lot was then going to be expected of Javain behind him. Yeah. And he explained, like, there's holes and some player moves here and you don't chase the ball if it goes over your head. You move to another zone and you let the person behind you chase the ball. So it, it all made sense when he when he on the chalkboard. it on the chalkboard. Seen it on the pitch. Yeah. We were talking about that. We were like, that's not quite how it was all laid out. No. Well, and again, you're right. Shop, shop isn't doesn't I don't think have everything they need defensively. And like we said already, he doesn't have the pace that you, that a, mm-hmm. a wing back requires. Like if you if you're a wing back without pace, you have to be crafty and wily. And I don't think Shop is especially at that position. No, and then in in the first half, he kind of moved more into the middle, and Pedro Viti kind of went mm-hmm. out to the wing. So I, I don't yeah. know. If that was, I, I guess, Steeny's decision to do that, if the player said, look, you're getting burned a little bit here, let's try something different. But then he was back to, to, to that in the second half. And the plan was always for Sebastian Berhalter to come on and for them to split the playing time in that position. Yeah. Oh. Well, I, and it looked like they were set up to do that more, right? Like they were going to attack more through the left, through through Raposo, right? Yeah. I don't know if they expected, because I, I had gone on or i'd listened to the the dean smith conference call during the week mm-hmm. and he was asked about vancouver and if you're an extra podcast subscriber you, you'll have heard that in our show that we brought out before the game today our preview show if you're not three dollars a month thirty dollars a year sign up now but we he, he was asked about what he, what about vancouver he says well i know they attack and uh, they're playing a three one four two this season and when Vanny had mentioned that wasn't what they were doing today, I said to him, Dean Smith's expecting that. Do you think that's going to catch them out? And he says, well, we've got flexibility depending on what they do. But Charlotte impressed me because Charlotte really took the game to the Whitecaps. And it, it seemed more that the Whitecaps were struggling to work out how to deal with Charlotte than Charlotte were working out how to deal with, with the Whitecaps. Yeah, that's fair. Uh there was long spells like like that for sure, 
where they were they had up they had the upper hand. It, it, I I also just wondered like how much the because Vanny's not allowed to talk to the bench, right? Yeah, he can't. He, yeah, he, so, ninety minutes before that's his cut off. Yeah, and then he was yeah. He was yeah, up so, in the, he was up in a box beside the the radio yeah. um, stuff, and I would love to have been up there when the penalty decision was given, which will come to very soon. But oh, yes. yeah, I, I I did wonder if the direction of Vanny had been on the bench, if things might have been a bit different. Like would Levante maybe have come on earlier? Earlier, yeah. I guess we could ask him that this week, but. I mean, at the start of the game, Charlotte had the the first couple of, of early chances. Takaoka had a a couple of pretty much routine saves. One at his near post, one with a, a looping header. Ranko had a kind of acrobatic effort that didn't really mm-hmm. test Kalina too much in the Charlotte goal. And then 22nd minute was really the first big talking point of the game. Charlotte break forward... Enzo Capetti in the box with Ranko. Capetti goes down, thought nothing of it, and I, referee Bowman pointed to the spot. So you and I were, t- yeah, you, so you sent me messages about this. I, I, you, were, I think you kind of said to me, you're like, I can't believe that was called in, like, in real, like, in real time, given as a penalty, and you totally felt it, things were vindicated with the, um, with with the VAR decision or with the help of VAR. Um, I think it's a bit harsh on the ref. I can see why, I can see why he gave it because what I see on the on the instant replay is actually Capetti, I think, goes like kicks uh, or makes contact with with uh, was it Ranko? Yeah, yeah, makes contact with Ranko's leg, and that's why he goes down, right? But it's the reason why it was overturned. It was because it was Capetti, I believe, hitting Ranko's leg, not Ranko going into yeah. Capetti. Capetti knocked the ball away and then hit. Ranko's yeah. leg and then but like in in, li- in live you know when it happened live i can totally understand why the ref yeah. thought oh i think i think he stripped him but and that's why they're like hey you should look at this again because actually he he's the one yeah. who makes initiates the contact or makes I, the contact I, I, or as soon as we saw the replay we were like yeah that's getting yeah. called back and how refreshing a cpl referee had var <laughs> yeah and then yeah you made numerous jokes <laughs> to me by text and even Kirk, Kirk was just like, "Oh yeah," he's like, "Yeah, this would have been nice. We could have, yeah. could have, could have saved us lots of goals and and penalties and red cards." Because <laughs> Har had been trying to find out who the referee was. So when she said who it was, I was like, oh, "I know that name." And then I googled it. I was like, "Oh, CPL referee." I was like, yeah. "Oh boy." <laughs> uh, and then about five minutes before that happened, we we're talking about the replacement refs, and I had said to Har. I think they've been all right. I don't think there's been anything that you can really get on their case too much about. And then five minutes later, she's like, but at least, See? at least, they, at least they ultimately got it right with VAR. Well, that, are, exactly. Are, that referee situation sounds like sounds a bit crazy. Are we going to talk about that later? Yeah, I mean, okay. like, let's talk about it now. Actually, I hadn't penciled in to talk about it, but yeah, it's it doesn't look like it's getting cleared up anytime it, soon. Am I am I right in that what I heard was they were they were offered a new deal or whatever? And then they were told to sign it, and if you don't, the future offers will be worse. I oh, read that no. on Twitter. I, I read I, that on Twitter somewhere. I just I can't remember if it, was, if, it, if it was a reputable source. But that, see, that's interesting because where my wife works just now, they're going through contract ne- negotiations because the the current ones expired. 
So the union has agreed with the employers a deal mm -hmm. and the members are like, we're not accepting this. And the union said, if you turn this down, they'll probably come back with a worse offer. And we're all like, why would they do that if we haven't accepted the first one? And yeah. they're saying we're prepared to strike. Yeah, that's why. Anyways, I can't remember which person said this in the tweet, but I was just like, that makes no sense. But, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it's going to be sorted as quick as it was the last no. time, back in 2014. That That's for sure. And... There was an interesting question posed on, on Twitter today, actually. Let me get that up, because Har had asked me about it, and I, I genuinely wasn't sure. It's someone, uh, Emil A. Soccer on Twitter, who had said, I'd be very curious to know what the legal framework is that allows the replacement referees to work without being considered strike breakers, which I believe is illegal here in B.C., yeah, I saw some people talking about that. Hey, if you're going to the stadium today, then you're crossing a picket line. Yeah, well, there, there isn't some a picket people, line, but no. yeah. And some people's response was, wait, is that the Tim Ford picket line? I'm, I'm happy to cross that. <laughs> but, I mean, aside from that decision, and the, I mean, the referee did let a lot go. Well, there was, yeah, the, 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 that one, like, sh arm shoulder check into Raposo, so he was breaking down the left. That was that was that was uh, I, the penalty one I can live with because they got it right in the end, and I don't I can understand why he made the initial call, even though I, I would agree that it was wrong. But that one on Raposo, that seemed like a he must have thought it was shoulder to shoulder, and that maybe just a vantage point. Uh, maybe he wasn't in the best vantage point, but it, it looked, you know, because we're you're seeing it on you know from where you were in the booth or on TV, you're seeing it from the the other side right and so it's it's easy to see that it's a foul mm. but, yeah I, um, I, I guess yeah i mean talking to Raposo, he had a hand in charlotte's goal yeah. trying to do a little bit too fancy it was a it was a nice move it, it was a lovely move and if it, was, it hadn't led to a goal no one would have thought anything off that apart yeah. from it was a nice little bit of trickery yeah but unfortunately it kind of got cut out and it it launched a, a charlotte attack and it was a it was a nice move. Brecht uh, Deja Egari, probably butchered that name, played the ball in from the right. It was a nice little dummy from Capetti. Mm -hmm. And Felipe said, I wonder if he meant that. And you see it back and he meant that dummy. Yeah. That, that yeah. was classed by Capetti. And it falls superbly to Tavares and he just blasts that. Beautiful finish. Yeah. It was, I mean, if, if yeah. For Charlotte, it's it's a great goal. Um, they, they deserve to be, be up. Yeah. And yeah it's yeah. like, you couldn't fault that at all. They were the better team. And they really should have gone 2-0 up 10 minutes later where Capetti's in on yes. goal. Yes. And Ranko, Ranko put his hand up afterwards. He's like, I, was, I should have done better there. Uh, and you're like, oh, that's it. That's two. And Felipe's exact words were, oh, he's not going to miss from there. And Takaoka huge yeah. game-changing save there because the Caps went two down that was it they were not coming back from that yeah it would have been very very difficult um yeah it, it was good to see him get it make a a, a big save in the first yeah, game that's year. I think it was helpful for him booster for him for sure and you think oh breathe, breathe aside relief lucky escape there and if we're talking about lucky 
the Whitecaps tying it up with basically the last kick off the game. Kalina's going to want that back. I, oh, I was joking. Kalina was expecting a proper striker shot there and not whatever it was that Raposo hit that somehow trickled behind him over the line. And, I mean, hey, they all count. You take them all, but that was not the most quality finish. It's not going to be a goal of the year contender. No, there's the trickles in there. Yeah, I think you, you I think you named him wrong there. It's, uh, I think his name is now uh, Ryan Ronaldo, or is he RR7? I, I, I can't remember if it was Javier or someone else was shining his boots after that. That, that was, was like, after Whoa. that, but he, he changed his number to seven this year from 27. Oh, right? of course. And then he did RR7, the, yes. And then, he did, and then he did the Ronaldo celebration, right? Oh, I didn't he, see him do that. Oh, he did the whole, the whole you know, jumping. Ah. Yeah. And then after that, Jermaine, oh, I did see you that. Know, you know, I did. Off. I didn't even click at the time. Yeah, I think you should call him RR Seven. So yeah, I think that's. Like, let's yeah. go with that. I really like that. I mean, he he had a, a pretty good game. Vanny had mentioned yesterday that he feels that Ryan Raposo is the most tactically aware player mm. that he has for the wing back role. Yeah, which is why he feels side. comfortable starting on the left or on the right. Yeah. Because yeah. he understands the defensive side of the game, yeah, and he said he's not he's not going to win every challenge, and he's not going to be perfect. He's not going to be the best player on the team, but tactically he is the best and most aware player on the team. And for a wing back, you do need that. I, I think going forward, Ali Ahmed is clearly that his is his role, and the fact that he came on today is very promising, and he looked good as well yeah. when, when he came on. And you've got to feel he's going to be starting now. For RR7, I think he, he kind of summed up the game, right? Um, it was, you know, yeah, his error and then his awkward, but, you know, <laughs> a nice finish. And that, that's, yeah, that's, that summarized the game, right? Yeah. I mean, the second half is pretty much a bit of a non event, really. There's not really too much to talk about. The Whitecaps were the better team. And like I said, they didn't deserve to be level at the half, but they definitely deserved at least a point by the end. I would say they probably deserved all three points by the end. They had the chances, maybe half chances. I, I don't know. Fafa had a chance. Mm-hmm. Um, Javine Brown ha- had a header as well just before that. Shop had a, a shot earlier in the half. But I don't think you can probably argue too much with a draw. Probably a fair result at the end of the day. I don't know that it was a game that is going to have sent the 29,624 in attendance home going, oh, I can't wait for that next game in a couple of weeks. Yeah. And 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 then how did it feel in there? Like, it it looked, it looked better than, than many games yeah. last year, see? But... Um... A bit of a flat atmosphere, I felt, in person. Okay. I don't know how that came across on the, on the TV. It, it, on the on the places I was taking it in, yeah, it didn't it didn't quite come across as as it as it has at its maybe loudest. And I wondered, well, one, I wonder how many of the twenty nine were were there. Although I think a, a, a good percentage were, but um, oh, sometimes yeah, it was it was. It was def- I, I actually thought it was over thirty. Yeah, so yeah. It, okay, it that's was good. that good a crowd. Um, but um. I just know on the supporter side of things, like sometimes those games when it is fuller and you have, let's say, some new people in and around the sections or whatever, it's not 
it can be not always as as loud, but well, it crossed I, my I, mind like the Sinclair game. Yeah. Oh yeah. A packed crowd, but not the best atmosphere. Well, and then you have people not who are maybe not don't know all the don't know all the traditional boys your songs. Um but yeah, I haven't talked to any I haven't talked to anyone yet who was in the supporter section to see how they felt about about how that side of things went. But mm. um But I mean overall they they start off with a point and it's a point that sees them in the playoff spots after <laughs> two weeks. Somehow they're ninth on their one point, but And is and is better than better than last year's start. Yes. They haven't won a home opener since 2018. Like a proper home opener, not the COVID one where their yeah. home opener was August. But a proper home opener, they've not won since 2018. I Which is weird because be, before that, they yeah. were like 15, 20 years in a row where they won every one. Or they, or they definitely didn't lose for like 15, 20 years or something. I mean, I, I, it's way too early to be concerned about a slow start. It's just one game. Yeah. Charlotte were a were a good team, and I was quite surprised at, at how well they had played. But they've got two tough games coming up on the road. They're away to San Jose, then they're away to Dallas, and they've struggled in both places o- over the years as well. You, you don't want to be looking at coming into this RSL game with just a point on the board. But no, that. That can't happen. No. I, I mean, I looked at the bench today, and aside from Fafa and Levante, you're like, well, there's not... It's very defence-minded. There's not a lot of game-changers on there. Now, that's going to change. Sam Arakugbe's yeah. close to coming back. Ali Ahmed should be good to, to go from next week. Matthias Laborda is going to be good to go, which can maybe free up Javain. So I, I, I'm I'm not worried in, in that regard. I, I thought... Javain Brown, as I mentioned, was excellent today. Probably my Whitecaps player of the game. Um, Andrews Kubis, I thought it did well not to get sent off when he picked up the yellow card. There was a tackle, though, in the second half that if he hadn't been on the yellow card, he definitely would have tackled differently. But there was a couple of other great tackles that he had. That if he had just slightly mistimed it, that was a second yellow and, and he was off. So I thought he... he was decent. Yohi Takaoka couldn't have done anything with that that shot, and I, I think had a good game. The, the defense on on a whole, Ranko had a couple of, of maybe ones that he'd want back, but on the whole, the back three was good. Fafa Pico when he came on, I thought brought a spark. Definitely would like to see him start in next week. So that there's certainly positives, and I, I'm not too worried at, at all. But but stuff just now. But yeah, we'll we'll see how the next few games go. I think they should get at least a point away to San Jose, based on the jersey alone. <laughs> yeah, Charlotte's jersey. I, I mentioned in last week's show some of the jerseys I've seen and they've grown on me. Charlotte's hasn't. My wife saw the Minnesota one today for the first time, and she was like, "Oh, I really like that." My 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 wife and my daughter actually liked the the Charlotte one today when they saw it on the screen. It's got the potential to be a good jersey. It just feels that it's unfinished. I just don't. Uh, on the on the contrary, they weren't super keen on the on the white caps. I'm seeing it like for the first time on oh, on the big screen. I I actually I, got I, to handle Ryan Gold yesterday. Oh, nice! The one that he wore today in the game. Oh, I tried so to you... pocket it, but uh, I couldn't get away with it. 
There you go. I did say to them, though, you know, I said in, in an ideal scenario, the Whitecaps want to be wearing white socks with this uniform. I don't know if that changes anything for you. But... Yeah. Do, do you know why they couldn't? Because Charlotte was. Because Charlotte do not own anything except white socks. Oh, there you go. So they had to wear their blue socks today. So it will be white in the future. Yeah, yeah. A little tidbit of news for you there. <laughs> so just before we finish talking about the Whitecaps and Charlotte, obviously there was a very special person involved with Charlotte FC. Pamaduka, he's an assistant coach. <laughs> got, got to speak to him after, briefly after the game. He gave me a hug and I pointed out to him the last time I spoke to him. At Swanguard, he said, I'll be right back. I went to speak to someone and never came back. And he saw Toss Ricketts and said, I'll be right back. He went to speak to Toss and he never came back. I'm starting to get a complex now, Pa. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Yeah, but there, there was a very well-known Scottish Canadian on the Charlotte team. Not that he featured much today, it has to be said. Not that he's featured much, actually, for mm -hmm. them th this season. But Scott Arfield, back at BC Place, he's been here with the Canadian national team. Him and Ryan Gold had a, a good chat afterwards. I think they swapped jerseys as well. They must have had a, a good five-minute chat. So myself, Har and Manuel Veth got a chance to catch up with Scotty Arfield after the game. Here's what he had to tell us. So you've had a few months here at Charlotte now. How have you found MLS, the travel? This is obviously one of the, the huge trips for you. Uh, very different, very different to what I'm used to. Uh, but I have really enjoyed it, even at the times when, um, like when I first came into the programme with Canada, all my mates, all the teammates at that time was predominantly in the MLS. So I knew how difficult the travel was going to be. So it wasn't anything that's new. It's just once you're in it, you understand how difficult it is to, to recover. Um, as you said, this is one of the... Um, the most intense one we'll do get back obviously tomorrow morning early doors and then be ready for next week Does it feel different this season under Dean? I know you went with Christian for too long but does it feel a little bit different under Dean? Just different ideas different different managers get different ideas um, I think he's sort of simplified it and I think sometimes um, when people simplify it I think it's the most underrated thing because if you strip it all back simplicity is sometimes what you're, what you're missing in, in, in time so I think he's done that um, I think we have a few new bodies the transfer window's open for the next the next month I think if we add more quality we've got a very good chance of success How how do you see your role this year? Because obviously these first two games you've been sparingly I know you picked an injury up last week Dean mentioned during the week but do, do you see yourself still as a starter? Because yeah. to me it's surprising that, that you're not I Definitely definitely. it's just um, sometimes you know you know that your age is going to go before you. That's just what happens sometimes. So it's up to you to sort of change that um, that narrative. But, you know, even at, even at Rangers at the back end, I was starting on the bench and you, you see the different side of it. You see how important that is to finish games and come on. And I really respect the manager's decision. Um, and obviously every player wants to play as many minutes as possible. So when you get the opportunity to, to be ready to go on. Have you had folk in Scotland asking what it's like, curious about MLS wanting to come over? I absolutely, I, I was loads of players. Even before I came, I was always um, picking the brains of other players that have played in the MLS as well. It's an intriguing um, division, it's an intriguing place to live, to play. Um, and obviously with the, with the stature and the calibre of player that's now in this league since I've came in in June, 
focus on the money and with the appetite of so many players. I think the, the league is so much um, so much more than people give it credit for. I think once you watch it and once you play in it, you realise how, how athletic it is and how difficult it is. So I think if players come over and think they're going to have a, an easy time at it, I think it'll be, um, it'll be in for a surprise. One of those players, Ryan Gold, we saw you talking to him post-game. Uh, what would you like to see him out there on the pitch? He's got that new contract. What are you, what are you guys going to talk about? Yeah, he's, he's just talking about this city. He loves the city. He loves being the captain of this place. Um, only had good things to say about the place. Um, I think he'd just... You know, the way he plays, I think the fans really really took to him. Um, he's on, obviously, a, a lovely contract. I think he's reciprocating that into, into his performances. I think the fans really like him. So he just loves this place. And I think he's going to be here for the next four or five years. What did you make of the, the game this evening? Yeah, I thought it was a game of two halves. I think both teams tried to win it at times. And then I think both teams sort of looked at it. A point gained in, in different scenarios. I think a point in the road and MLS is always always good. I think we had opportunities to win it, but um, Vancouver are a, a very good team and I think they'll upset a few teams this season as well. Final one for me, what did you think about the refs? They're not the usual refs. They had some challenges perhaps with some plays in this game. Yeah, the referees, are, they're never going to win. They're never going to win because if they win for one team, then the other team are going to shout at them. If they do it for another team, then the other team's going to shout at them. They're always in a lose-lose situation, so... You know, it's one of the things for, for referees. I don't know why people put themselves in a situation to be a referee because it's a, it's a lose-lose situation at times. Uh, Scott, can you talk us a little bit through the thought process, you know, you end in Scotland and your decision to come to Charlotte. Like, what was it in the end that made you go and decide to go and play for Charlotte? Just a different experience at the time. As I say, earlier in 2016, I think I made my debut for, for Canada players were MLS, so I was always enthusiastic and very energised about about coming out here, and as you got older, you sort of think that um, that scenario might have might have passed, but I was delighted when I had the opportunity to come here, and we've moved over, with my wife and kids, we very good, very good daughter, and hopefully an experience all, all pays off. So, what has made the biggest difference between being in Scotland and playing in MLS? You had half a year now, and then of course, like the start of the season. Yeah. What's been the biggest differences? I think the athleticism of the league, the pace of the league. Um, it's a game of basketball at times. I think you need to be as, as fit as possible to play in this, this league. I think it's a, it's a game of transitions um, in this league, whereas predominantly in, in England, where I was there for, for nearly 10 years, it was more keeping the ball and tying the, possession, uh, tying the team out in possession of the ball. It's a bit different over here. So um, it's the way the league is, and it's... Uh, Again, it's when you when you're getting older. If you go into management, it's another it's another um, strength to your ball that you can you can say you've done this and and really um, enjoy that experience. What's the biggest surprise for you, Ben? Um, there's been a few. There's been a few at <laughs> times. Uh, I, probably the athleticism of the league. I think everybody is at tip top condition. Uh, and as I say, I think that's when I speak to people back home. We probably don't think that this is a technical league. I think they'd be, they'd be extremely disappointed if you came into this league thinking you're going to be easy because the athleticism, the pace of the pace of the game, they're on absolutely physical specimens. Um, and as I say, the caliber of players now getting better. So I think it's only good for good for uh, North America that um, going out the 2026 World Cup I think Canada and uh, America will do very well. Is it nice not to be in a goldfish bowl? Lovely. Yeah. <laughs> Lovely at times. I, uh, I, I said that when I first came. Yeah. Um, and then we went back for Christmas and then it was straight back into it at the time, albeit um, no, our current, our current player of the Goldfish Bowl, but you're still, you're still recognised in certain, certain parts there. So, uh, 
No, but it has been nice. It has been nice. But you do, you do miss it. You do miss um, being here. But on the, on the flip side of that, I've just completely relaxed in Charlotte and was only look over the shoulder so much. Cheers. 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 So Scott Arfield there, first thing to say, like his discussion with Ryan Gold, it was lovely to hear him say Ryan was just telling him how much he loves Vancouver as a city and living here. Mm. And I mean, him speaking like that, Scott said he's had all these other people in Scotland asking about the league, wanting to come over. He had done that himself before he came over. But you do kind of wonder what his role is going to be this year. He's 35 now old legs but veteran experience it sounds from things I've read in the coaching that he's going to be used more sparingly off the bench I think he still has something in him to be a starter but I guess we'll have to see how that plays out yeah I I guess it's going to be a mixed role for him right yeah I think he will start but he won't be a starter um and then he will be uh he'll be they'll be looking to use him as an impact sub right someone who can come on whether it's to help them chase the game or someone to help them hold a game so uh yeah wish him wish him all the best in in that i do as well i know his time with the national team it kind of soured towards the end and folk will be saying why was there no questions there about the canadian national team scott didn't want to talk about the, the national team, he just wanted to focus on the club side of things. Fair enough, respect that. And he's, he feels he's spoken about his time. I do wonder if maybe part of it is he is going to go and play Toronto next week and he maybe didn't want to give any bulletin board material to John Herdman or something, but yeah. got to respect that he just wanted to focus on what he's doing now with Charlotte. That That's what we did. But yeah, wish Scotty yeah. and Charlotte all the best for this season. And without knowing the, the the reasons, Michael, as you and I were talking about it before, I, I I'm wondering if it also just has to do with there's a lot of turmoil within Canadian football yeah. right now, especially the, the, for the men's team. That yeah, and there was lots he, of rumors from his time there as well about stuff. Yeah, so I, I I can see him being like, this is not the time for me to whatever field questions, share my story, share my thoughts on where things uh, are, where they should be, where they could, be, all that kind of stuff, right? So. It, it it makes sense. I can see him being like, "Hey, can we have that conversation another time?" Yeah, I I always hoped he was going to come here and and play, but a bit old for that now. I think the turf pitch might might get those old bones going a bit. Yeah, but that is it for the Whitecaps Charlotte chat. It's not it though for the Whitecaps chat, as we're going to be back with some audio from Axel Schuster's media roundtable, and we'll be back with that and our first song this episode from our album of the month. After this. Hi, I'm Vanni Sartini, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Face of a nation is split with a smile. 
Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. Brought to you in partnership with recoveryfamilylaw.ca. It's a new month, you know what that means. It's a new album of the month here at AFTN. And kicking off this part, it's the first of two songs we're going to play from the album in this week's show. The band, hail from Aberdeen in Scotland, The Shaman. That is their debut album, Drop, released, or dropped if you want, in June 1987 on Moksha Records. The song there to kick off our month festivities from the band. Probably their well... I was going to say well-known. I don't know how many folk even know this era of The Shaman, but for those that do, probably their most famous song from their debut album, Happy Days, we have played it on the show before. And the reason that I say I'm not sure if many people will know The Shaman from back then, now some of you might have never heard of The Shaman at all, but they started off as a a psychedelic rock band, very kind of shoegazy sound, uh, kind of a Sid Barrett, early Pink Floyd sound to, to them as well in a, in a lot of their songs. But they always were fascinated by the psychedelic side and that kind of saw them kind of transition from a psychedelic rock band to a psychedelic dance band, dance rock, and then just pure dance band. And it was when they were a, a pure dance band in the 90s in the rave scene that they had some really big hits, Move Any Mountain, Ebenezer Good, that had the the lyrics, He's a good, he's a good, he's Ebenezer Good, got played all over TV and radio with nobody picking up on the lyrics that they were basically singing, He's a good. And I, I've picked The Shaman for the album of the month for this month for, for a variety of reasons. One, They're Scottish. I'm going back to Scotland, tying it into my trip this month. Two, I just love this album. It's a fantastic debut album. Have it on vinyl. Have played it to death over the years. And although I kind of liked following their progression and their musical style, for me, their best sound was as a guitar band, a psychedelic rock band. And this album is 14 tracks on the album, each one is absolutely fantastic. And I mentioned their song Ebenezer Good as well. And the video for Ebenezer Good features one of my favourite comedians, controversial Scottish comic Jerry Sarowitz. Now, if people don't know about Jerry Sarowitz, Google him. He's not to everyone's taste. He's kind of... He kind of goes into that anti-comedy scene that a lot of folk talk about the most un-PC comic you you could hear. If you've heard stuff from like Jimmy Carr, Ricky Gervais, times that by 10 and you've got Jerry Sadowitz, he is also one of the best close-up magic sleight-of-hand magicians in the world. And he puts on shows, sometimes it's just a stand-up Sometimes it's just his magic shows. I've been to both. Been in the front row of his magic show. Been on stage with him for a trick as well. And 
just blew my mind. He was just so good at, at the, the magic side. Sometimes he combines them as well. And when I'm back in Fife this month, I'm going to get to see Jerry Sarowitz. He's playing in Fife this coming Friday. Haven't seen him live since 2007. So looking forward to seeing him again. His show is called Jerry Sarowitz, Comedian, Magician, Psychopath. That says it all. <laughs> yeah, The Shaman, they're our album of the month for March. Have a couple of songs from them tonight, a couple next week, and as I say, it's such a good album. I might play two from them every week this month when we have a show. Let me know if you enjoy them. I know last month's album of the month by Marion went down very well. We had a lot of good comments on that. So you can check out The Shaman drop on YouTube and all the usual places. Final thing I'll, I'll say uh, about the, the Shaman as well for this part, that song there, Happy Days, I, I'd, I'd planned to have The Shaman as, as the album of the month as soon as I knew I was going back to Scotland and I wanted to kick it off with that song, Happy Days. And There's a line in it, why is blue the colour of the season. And it's meant in a sad way because people are blue. But I thought, oh, fantastic. We'll call the episode that as the Whitecaps begin their 2024 MLS season. And it ties in great. The new jersey for the 50th anniversary is blue. And then, just to make things even more perfect, Canada Soccer got their new general secretary that we'll talk about in part four. And his name is Kevin Blue. Sometimes things are just meant to be. I suppose we should probably get back to the football chat now after all my rambling. And in this part, we're going to bring you some audio from a media roundtable that Whitecaps CEO and Sporting Director Axel Schuster held on Friday at BC Place. It was a, a great pre-kick-off to the season. In years past, they've had a, a special food event where you sample what's new at BC Place food-wise. And as great as that was, as free food always is, loved what the Whitecaps did on Friday more. Axel gave a, a, a an open forum to media to ask him anything they want. Everything was on the record. It went on for about an hour and 20, hour and 25 minutes. So he was very generous with his time, answered so many things, discussed so many things. And I'm, I'm going to bring you parts of that round table over the, the next two, maybe three shows. Because there was a lot of stuff that was discussed. And I think it's a lot of stuff that's important that the, the fans here know where the club are coming from and various things and just to generate some, some good discussion about the club as well. So we will bring you Axel over the next few shows this month. Fanny Sartini also did a, a really good chalkboard tactical discussion after training as well, just explaining how the, the team's going to play this year, his kind of tactical philosophies and a lot more. That was more an off the, the record chat because obviously you don't want that to get out to the, the opposition but that that was fascinating and Mark DeSantis did that uh, a few years ago as well and really enjoy that kind of chalk talk stuff but as I say Axel was very generous with his time he talked about a number of different aspects of the club 
For this episode, we're going to focus on the squad build. How the squad was put together this off-season, the additions that have come in, the ones that got away, like Richie Larea, and of course, the Whitecaps just now have an open designated player spot. Will they be looking to fill that? If not, why? And if so, where might that come from and what position could that be used from? So, a lot of things to talk about. I'm sure it will generate a lot of discussion after it as well. So, go stick the kettle on, sit back, grab a biscuit of choice, put your feet up and enjoy some thoughts from Axel S. Start of the season. Tomorrow, you guys have, I, I don't know how many times I've heard you guys say how important the start of the season is for you. This is just putting a lot of emphasis on it. And yet we still have a, an open DP spot. What are your thoughts on filling that? You know, the European window's closed. Tell us about that situation. I, I don't think we combine those two things. Uh, we think that uh, if we go through our lineup and we look at how we finished last season with what kind of squad, what players and how they performed, I don't think that we ever felt the need that we need a 30p to, to perform on the same or a better level. Um, yes, it's obviously open. Um, we also know about the rules in the league. Um, um, we have more than one U22 player. Uh, we have also another U22 spot open and there are limitations to that spot. So at the end of the day, the, the spot would be anyway only a max 10 dp spot. So what is... Uh, it's also something we have to mention. Uh, but I think last year we have shown that uh, we played an outstanding outstanding uh, second half of the season without the 30p. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm, I like more to speak about how good and how, how good and how well some of our non-DP players perform. Um, and it has taken some time to for the one or the other to to maybe even settle in in the league. But Pedro Vita, I think without any question, is is a difference maker and plays on a DP level. If you look at the game that he has played in in uh, Langford, uh, that then you would say, is there any difference between Ken or how how likely it is that we find a Max Tam DP who is so much better than Pedro Vita? Mm-hmm. Um, Brian White was the fifth best striker in the league and is purely a cap player. That is huge credit to him. And and um, uh, that said, um, how how likely it is we have tried last year. <laughs> um, we have tried and actually before we had a full DP in the uh, who was competing with Brian and Brian is. Eliminating everyone, uh, if that's the right word, <laughs> at the end in, in a good way uh, with his performance. So um, how likely or how, how much guarantee do we have that if we sign a 1.6 or a, a max 10 DP uh, that he will be perform better? Said that, um, if you look at our roster, and I can start with that, we approach the games a little bit differently. You, it's not a secret anymore. We are not telling Charlotte something they don't know because we have already played two games. Um, we have added one more player in the forward position. Mm-hmm. We play in a, more in a 3-4-3 system. Um, and if you go through our lines, uh, I would say it's it's also, for me, it's at this point a huge question mark where we urgently need to add more quality. 
Um, I'm very happy to speak and I'm uh, or, or, or I'm to, to to tell you that we are looking for more depth for various reasons. We're looking for more depth also because we have to look at the copper already because the copper is coming before the next window opens and hopefully and I keep all my fingers crossed Canada is qualified. But if Canada is qualified, it is very likely that our whole four in the middle is gone because it's right now it's Sam on one side and Ali on the other side and Pedro and Cuba is in the middle. And then if you have to play without all of those four, I would say right now we are too thin to play seven games, what it actually is during the Copa, to play seven games during the Copa without those four players. So that's what we are looking at. But if I look at our possible, one of our possible starting lineups, there are different ways, but Yohei, of course, um, Ranko Tristan, Matthias Laborda, who is somebody who has done a big step forward, um, I think that, that he looked already in the in the last home game here at BC Place outstanding against Buanga. There have not been a lot of players who could really completely shut down Buanga. Um, then Kubas and Pedro, Ali and Sam, and then you have, without any question, Brian and Ryan Gold, and then a third one who could be Damia or Fafa, uh, or maybe somebody else who surprises us. But then it's hard to imagine to say uh, for us there is a need to add the uh, DP. Uh, position right now but do you is if your question relates to are we are happy with everything we have and do we have a feeling that we need something i would say yes of course some more depth in some positions to be protected for every scenario because we want to play a better season than last year and right now i would say as soon a few players miss soon you have more than one player missing or two players missing we have to use players that are still in the development process and we cannot sustain the the, the the level of play that we want to play. Does that put a sense of urgency on trying to get something done before this window, called the current window, which is April 23rd? Yeah. So does that... Yeah, because so, the copper so, is before the next yeah, window opens. the so, next window opens, yeah, yeah. right? So, so you are trying to be as active as you can, even though you've... What have you got? Seven weeks still yeah. to go on so, that? So... Perfect summary. We don't feel the urgency for tomorrow, the game against San Jose or Dallas, yeah. but we want to bring in the one or the other player that then have a runway until, I like yeah. to say, four or five months until the Copa starts. Yeah. That doesn't mean that they should only play during the Copa, but to, to then have um, the one or the other players who understands our system very well, who has settled completely in and can then jump in at that time. By extension, the summer window would then really be about a different priority. It's about where you are at that point, and then how you're looking to finish. Right? You'll be you'll be treating that window with with a totally different mindset, which you can't sort of fathom <clears throat> at this point. But I would actually hope yes. that we don't need the summer window. Yeah. Other than if we get an outstanding offer for one of our players, and we would have to backfill it, because obviously uh, right. it could happen that some somebody approaches us in summer. To sign one of our players and make us an amazing offer and then we have to backfill it yeah. i would hope that we don't need the summer window to correct something or to add something um, because something hasn't worked out or somebody's injured all those those things i don't want <laughs> to happen so i will i will, we we literally uh i i'm not the fan and i haven't been the biggest fan of um holding back something as if we have the right players or the opportunities to sign somebody early. This this, this approach, yeah, we, we hold something back and then we maybe can do something in summer. I, I think 
the proof of the last years is those teams who have been ready right from the beginning, they, they made it at the end easily into the playoffs, even if their performance in the second half wasn't that great. And I think both St. Louis and Austin the last two years have, have been hot and running right from the beginning. And at the end of the season, uh, they haven't been haven't sustained the performance, the, the results went out, but they still were in a good place. So I prefer to 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 go right away into the season with with the best possible um, roster. I know you, you have heard me saying we don't want to sign the first one, we want to sign the right one. That that's that's not a contradiction in say uh, well how do you say it in English? <laughs> you yeah. understand? Um, because if there is not the right one, I'm not signing just a player to have a player. Yeah. But this year with Fafa and Krylach, we actually thought we we have found two profiles that really help us and just go straight. Yeah. Maybe there's somebody better later. No, they are good enough to to help us to to be better right at the beginning of. Yeah. The so you would even even you, you once you get to the summer window, you can even just think about well, what could be people that you can add, thinking like the following season and yes, all that yes, sort of right, thing. Yes. Right. 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 Without an. an being under a pressure of an immediate urgency. And exactly. Do you feel you're a little bit past that now? Like that past that situation of having to use windows to get immediate needs in that you're I, kind I, of a little bit further along in the process? Do you feel? I hope, I hope. Um, we are a team that you know that you follow us more uh, uh, more closely than a lot of people in, in, in Vancouver, the province and in North America, that we try to approach things a little bit different. We try to play a different style. Um, it takes also time sometimes for player to adapt to that. We saw that with Laborda. Uh, I think there was a time at some point where people thought he was a miss in in uh, in our transfers, and then um, then at the end of last year, and in, if you look at the at the Champions League games, you would say no, he is actually a very good fit to our team. But it has taken him time. Even even he said it. He said it in the exit meeting in December. He said, "Ah, for me, it's so bad that the season is over because I thought I felt like I just arrived, really." Um, so better you you don't get into this urgency because I think it's hard to find a player who immediately uh, works in our in, in system. our system. Yes. Yeah. Was Krylak um, a Vanny push? I know he really liked him as well. Was he instrumental in kind of? Pushing for Krylak as well? No, it was an extra shoes to push. <laughs> uh, his 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 agent his agent is actually German, and I met him. Uh, I met him a few months before, and he said to me that um, uh, he told me that he is uh, representing Krylak, and they don't know what happens. And he said, "Look, you know that I have voted for him as an MVP two years ago, so three years ago now, three two seasons, three seasons ago, whatever." I said I voted for him, and we, when they made the conference final, I said he was for me the most decision, the biggest decision maker in the whole league. If they were playing with him, they were clearly a playoff team. If they were playing without him, not. In that season, we destroyed them here, and he wasn't playing. So luckily for us, at that point. So um, and I knew him from Germany. I knew what good character he is, and and. Um, so when he told me he doesn't know what he does, uh, he wants to do, I said, I'm not allowed to speak with you in the league rules, but if if at some point the situation changes, please let me know before he does something else than, than Salt Lake. And that then he he gave me this call. And uh, there was not a, it, it hasn't cost or taken a lot of time to, to, to with Venny also because he likes him also a lot. 
but uh, I I was in love with this player as well, like Benny was, um, um, because outside of of uh, his technical qualities and being a difference maker in in single situations, he's also a player that gives us height, what is also something we were lacking of. We were the third smallest team in the league last year. And in all our analytics, obviously not being so great in the air is was also a reason for that, was also that we lack of height. Having a player who gives us uh, strength in the air, then I knew that he is such a good locker room guy, a leader, uh, somebody who also has the right tone and uses the right tone in the locker room. Um, and then um, I'm also adding a player who told me right from the beginning, I want to prove once again how good I am, but you will not run in trouble if once in a while the coach is not playing me because I know that I am now in a certain age and um, with the many road games that it might happen that you cannot start in every game or that, that the coach wants to rotate. And that was actually what we are looking for because we feel very good about Goldie and Brian White and uh, there might be a lot of scenarios where... Um, um, we maybe only play those two or we play differently or we play Fafa Pico that is who told me literally the same more or less uh, but uh, he's a totally different profile obviously and what's the profile you like with Fafa? Fafa, Fafa adds, adds something to what we are lacking since we have uh, moved out yeah we have moved out three forwards last year we have moved out uh, all three could take players in one one Daiba Casedo unfortunately because of the injury uh, Christian Dahomer and and um, um, Sergio, um, all three could take players in one ones in dribblings, and uh, we 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 saw later in the season that that was a that that was a thing that we were missing in our game, also to scare defense lines a little bit with the speed, so that they have to that they have to react to this, also to open up sometimes situations to attack space behind defense lines. Um, said so. It is another, I would say, add-on to to all the all the different uh, qualities we have in our attack um, that were a little bit missing, and we could add that with him. Um, I want to circle back on the DP uh, situation. You said that you don't feel pressured this summer. Hopefully, to add anybody that I'm guessing includes also not feeling pressured to bring in a DP player. A lot of fans now, I guess, in the current MLS climate, see the DP spot as an opportunity and they desperately want that to be filled. While you might not be feeling pressure from the team or internally to fill that DP spot because you feel like you guys are in the right place, how do you deal with the fan pressure to get that DP spot or even the U22 initiative spot where they feel like they could, you guys can add quality to the team to make you take even another step forward? We feel always pressure. Um, we make a lot of pressure on ourselves to to improve the team because we feel the pressure. And the one thing that we 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 uh, where we put our own bar is always higher than the last season. So to become better in a in a very competitive environment um, is obviously to 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 develop your players and to add quality in areas where needed said that um, we feel the pressure the thing I have to repeat and that shouldn't be, look like deflecting or an excuse is at the end the guy is a max 10 player so th there's no difference between a TEM or a DP so uh, if he if he would have added if he would now add a player for 1.6 million as a cap player he, 
is it's exactly the same player. So it, there is not a possibility to bring in uh, Benzema or Mbappé. <laughs> it doesn't exist uh, at the end. Um, so um, we we um, we obviously uh, always try to to be super smart in our decisions and and to add players that. Um, that uh, will ha help us to perform better and everyone can can uh, expect from us to do this over the time but what i want to say no one has to be worried that we will use that at any point or that it is any excuse for not performing very well at the start of the season um, but to to help us to to be at the end of the season in a better position than we have been last season and to finish better than last season we obviously, yes, we want to use it. And we have used it over the last years in the limitations that, that, it, that it has. Um, and um, But we have not found the right one. Here now, you can quote my old quote, or you can use my old quote. We don't want to sign just uh, the first one or somebody to have someone. There are a lot of players that would come for, for the, 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 the salary that we can offer. But if then we want also to sign somebody who, where we are convinced that he will help us to be a better team at the end or to finish better than the last season. Is the was the situation with Cordova? Unfortunately, it was with injury and him coming up late. Was that sort of a, a, a situation? Lessons that you've learned on how you have to be even more careful in choosing the right player to come in to carry that DB tag. Because I felt like the fact that it was DP made had made Cordova had so much more pressure on him. I, I always like to say it the other way around and uh, maybe even even if I if I don't satisfy you with that answer. But I, pre I prefer to say how good Brian White is performing. He is the fifth best striker in the league. Every other striker around him, the one, the few that are better than him, the next, I think actually the next 10 are all DPs. So now I... I uh, I can say I can try to find somebody who's better than Brian White, but it's really tough. Honestly, he makes it really hard for me, and I hope he continues to do this. Uh, look, there's no better story than to have such a humbled guy, hardworking guy who's performing on that level. Um, so he is my problem, but in a good way. So obviously, uh, John John's performance wasn't. He was actually unlucky with his injury, you all know that, but I remember the first game in the League's Cup here, or the game against Austin, where he decided the game for us with a beautiful goal, but also the, game, the first game in the, in the League's Cup last year against Leon, where he was like outstanding. Um, and after that, we got the offers, actually. So I think that he has shown flashes of his quality. He couldn't show it consistently because of his injury. Because, like in the second game in LA, he got he got injured. The second game he played actually got injured, and then he was out for a long time. But at the other side, at the other at the other side, I had a meeting with him in his agent. He said, "Look, I cannot blame this that you play this guy because he's really good. But I cannot not play. That's not good for my career. And I want to play with the national team and I want to go to the Copa. And so we need to find a solution. And I told him, "Okay, I'm not against the solution." If you, agent, bring me a club that pays me exactly back what I have paid, so that for me it's it's break even, I'm open to do this because I don't want to have an unhappy, frustrated DP in my roster. 
that's a little bit the story. If you ask me, have we learned from that? <laughs> yes, maybe we have learned from that. Maybe we we have this. We have learned that we shouldn't sign a striker DP because uh, it's hard to, to to find somebody who's performing better than those two. Um, and having a DP who's at the end not playing is is it's I don't think a good thing at all. Yeah. And last one, um, you said that you're bringing in some pieces, hopefully for the window, as for depth, because especially with that midfield four for Copa, does that mean because you have Ryan Raposo and Sebastian Berhalter as two of the possible deaths. You're looking for another central midfielder and then a replacement for Ali on the right as the profiles they're looking to bring in for depth. I wouldn't I wouldn't limit it to that. It could be also depth in another position and we can play then differently if needed. Um, we want to keep this flexibility. Um, I I, uh, I we only have to prepare for a scenario where four key starters are missing and uh, I feel very good. Ryan Raposo is, is showing very good performances. Uh, also another Canadian, by the way, on the wide position um, that I think who is not done yet. He has improved every year. He has, he has every challenge that we throw to, onto him, uh, bring in two, the two Canadian national team players and, and at the end he plays a lot of minutes still. Um, so he's, he's proving every year that, that he can do another step. Um, but obviously the two are not enough <laughs> uh, we have also Schöpfi uh, but it's again we are playing seven games and and you need more than than even if you would have four starters um, that are already sitting on our roster that we could play um, we need more players yes uh, does that mean that we are looking in the for these positions but we we probably are also open to add quality maybe on another position uh, depth quality if, if needed are you down the road with anyone in particular right now yeah, I would say it's it's also, and I I don't want to I don't want to limit it too much to depth. If I speak about depth, we normally speak about uh, either an, a player like Kailach or Fafa Biko, a, a more veteran player, because it's hard to say we want to add depth. What do you tell the player? You only come to be depth here. That no, everyone wants to compete to start. So everyone he we who we sign can also start at the end if if those guys are performing better and 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 show and prove to Vanny that they are the better the better option for the next game they can all start um but we ought we are not signing players that are coming with the expectation i have to start here in every game i come to whitecaps it's necessary for me to start every game like for example john colwell last year because we don't also don't want to create problems in the locker room so it's either young players with a lot of potential or there's a little bit more veterans players that we look now to add into certain positions so that many has more options um, um, if needed. When you, you look at the additions of Demir and Fafa, in the past, it's been a struggle to get free agents for various reasons, tax reasons. What got that done this year? Was it just the, the players' keenness to come here or were you able to offer a bit more than you've maybe been able to offer in the past? Why we struggle with free agents? It's a, it's a, it's a not a big secret. It's our tax market because free agents are limited to a certain salary, and uh, if if there are several clubs who offer the max allowed salary, then uh, players prefer to go in very often into lower tax markets. And unfortunately, there are also some nice cities in other low in, in in low tax markets. Um, no city is as nice as Vancouver, but uh, maybe something you can accept if you make 100,000 net more in a year just because of the tax situation. 
that's literally why we struggle. And then the cost of living is here, you yeah. know. So it's uh, not that you get an advantage on that side. So the low tax markets are Florida, Texas, Nashville, and, and Seattle. So and you know, those clubs are naturally picking up more free agents. Um, but uh, I would say um, it's not that we have, it's not not about <laughs> we could add more and we, we balance the, the tax market. I think that both players also, and that's maybe the benefit of how we have developed the club and what kind of vibe we have around the club and how people start to speak about our club. Both players have been, uh, have been um, very interested in, in the role that we see for them, the options, the, the, the playing options they have here, um, the, the, the chances they have here and, and in, in what kind of group they come. It's also um, the chatter that exists between players, how it is to be in our group, um, stability, consistency. Um, I think there, is, there are other reasons why players make this decision at that point of their career. Um, um, it wasn't, we were not out, you cannot, anyway, we cannot outbid somebody. So, um, because of the limitations or the, the, the restrictions the league has for free agents. Looking around the league as a whole, especially in the West, when we kind of looked at what additions had come into elsewhere, there's a lot of teams that haven't filled their DP spots and they haven't maybe been as busy in the off-season as players that's left. So you would expect them to be busy before the April window and in the summer window. You've got other clubs, Miami, that would love to have like 10 DP spots, I'm, I'm sure. How, how do you see the league going in the future? Like, can you balance keep reining in the ambitious clubs and by ambition I don't necessarily mean that Whitecaps aren't ambitious but no I get what you say uh, I think I think the most the, the, the one thing that always uh, uh, makes me very happy to see is that clubs with different models can can still compete can even be better than those ambitious clubs, ambitious on the transfer market. Um, um, I'm not getting tired to, to mention Philadelphia, uh, mm. who is a club with a total different approach, obviously. Um, 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 but I would also say um, clubs like Salt Lake or ourselves um, um, are, are having a different approach here. So you, you see that the balance is not going away. Um, um, all those ambitious investments are not guaranteeing you success. Um, but um, I think this is a, is a question that we, we discuss now since a while. Um, how can we adjust our, our roster rules in a way that we still uh, keep the balance alive because uh, obviously you don't want to 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 get to a complete different model where um, um, Barcelona, Real Madrid, and Atletico are winning the championship every year and everyone else is only competing for what 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 it's 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 uh, the rest on the table. Or Bayern Munich winning eleven championships in a row and, and you're happy that if the twelfth is not going to them, then the next tens are going to them again. Uh, or Paris or whatever you don't want to see that I don't want to see that 
So how can you adjust that and uh, in a way that you at least can maybe um, also compete with on the next level? I wouldn't even say it is so important for whatever Miami is doing because we see they can do it in the existing roles um, or what other clubs are trying to do. Um, I think it's more the question, what can we do to grow as a league on the technical level in the ne for the next step? Because I think on the technical level, we are now knocking on the, on the top 10 leagues on the, in the world. But to compete with them in the worldwide competitive market, you, you maybe need uh, a next little step in the roster rules to, to have a little bit more flexibility, however that looks like. Um, um, respecting at the other side that um, that um, this this money has to come from somewhere because it's 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 at the end it's it's um, uh, it's investment um, that has to come from from owners. Uh, it is not right now um, that the league um, can in in short term increase the the, the, the revenue so much. To, to 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 make the investment just by by more revenues um, so it's a difficult balance that the league has to go through and I think there's a lot of respect how the league is uh, and and the different committees and all the working groups are approaching it um, at the end um, I would say Miami is the best example that you can already do a lot in the existing roster rules if you want to um, and Philadelphia, for example, is a good example that if you don't invest heavy in DPs, you can still be a very competitive team. So you also don't want to lose that. You you say there is a lot, there is already a Miami model, and there is still uh, there are other models that are very competitive. So how do you adjust that it fits for both? Because um, what do you want to? Uh, uh, There was one thing. There was one thing I have to say. I have to. I have to copy that here because it was like for me. It was like uh, uh, it was like uh, shocking. Maybe is the right word. So um, Philadelphia played Miami last year uh, in the league in the season. Just not. Yeah. Uh, oh no, it was in League's Cup. They played in the League's Cup Miami, I think. Yeah. And after that, uh, Jim Curtin got asked what he does think about Miami and what that means. And it was, I think it was in the Athletic, or I don't know. Um, I think so, but it doesn't matter. And he said, look, it's great, and the league has to look into this. I think it's great for the league um, to allow that. And, and maybe we have to, what I just said, think about a little bit of roster rules. Can we give a little bit more flexibility to, to some teams? Then, below the article, there were like comments. I tell you, the first 10 comments... Nine out of them were like blaming him, saying that because he is so cheap, his team. Yeah, but what do you want to blame them for? They, they are competing each year for the title. So what? How do you 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 cannot blame Philadelphia for not spending? They they are doing an outstanding job. So you need, but they spend far more, for example, in the academy. And uh, so you need to find rules that work in every market because we are so different markets in MLS. It's not easy. It's not like Germany, Scotland, Italy, Spain or whatever, where literally everything is one market. There is not big difference between um, uh, Bilbao and uh, Barcelona and Sevilla from, from, from the market itself. So from the interest in it, the, 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 even the companies that are investing in it. Here it's so different, different tax markets. 
different different uh, uh, I would say financial power in markets. Um, just if you look at the at the, the spot betting rules, for example, the 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 the, the limitations for spot betting um, in in the markets is so different that we speak about the difference of ten million U.S. dollars for clubs in annual revenue. So so said that we are speaking about a league that is so diverse than no other league in in the world. And now you, it is so easy to say they should just do something, but it doesn't work maybe for every, every market. So it's, it's a very tough job that they do. I have high respect for those that are doing it. I'm not an expert enough to, to have an oversight into all the different, different situations of the markets, but I'm very confident that the league will come at some point with, uh, some form of, uh, uh, of a new proposal that, that helps us to be, competitive for the next level but uh, it's not easy and so I will be the last one who will ask for something or expect something and I also don't don't ex have any timeline for when I think that uh, we we have a really good league that is growing in the existing rules and and also sometimes things that work well don't touch them before you don't before you are not sure that that the next step is uh, that the next uh, or that the change is actually a step forward. Axel Schuster there is just some of the stuff from his 90-minute media roundtable on Friday. As I mentioned, we'll be bringing you some more over the next couple of shows. Wanted to kind of keep the, the questions for this part all around kind of the roster build, the DP slots, stuff like that, Zach. So Axel's saying there that as of right now, there is no plan to fill that DP spot. If the right player came along, they, they would look to do it. But as things currently stand, they would maybe, they've got a chance to add another under 22 initiative player. And that would be more the way they would maybe want to go. Obviously, depending on what stuff maybe happens with Diber Caicedo, if he comes back or not. And Axel would welcome Diber back. But a, a lot of the DP spots, he, he mentioned a DP striker and he went we had a DP striker and we had Brian White who outperformed him so I think they don't want something like that to happen again that you immediately bring in a DP striker and he, he mentioned Sergio Cordova's agent totally understood he said I, I need my guy to play but I understand why you're not playing mm -hmm. and Axel said look if you can find him a club and we break even and we make the money that we've paid out for him, he can move on, and he did. And mm -hmm. he said, because Brian's been doing so well, they've not been looking on a DP thing. But the question was then asked, fans are expecting and looking for that to be filled when you look around the rest of the league. But as we talked about last week, a lot of the clubs, though, haven't filled the DP spots yet. Yeah. Well, some of, I mean, when we look at that list, some of them, it's obvious they're going to fill the, the yeah. spots. But some might might not. I, I was a little surprised, Mike. Uh, prior to the prior to the Charlotte result in the, in the opening match, that some of the stuff I saw online, and I don't think it was sarcastic, um, but some fans uh, expressing like disappointment over the fact that they aren't, uh, or, or or sorry, at it, them only bringing in who they brought in. 
And because they were expecting, again, they're not expecting, uh, you know, this big name to sell jerseys and draw on people. Uh, but they were expecting, I think, more quality and probably just more in general. And they're a little bit surprised. And I think also filling the three spots, even if it is kind of in a white caps kind of way, you know, you know, more like a TAM level. Uh, the, the, they're surprised that. Yeah, that I mean, Kubis is basically a, a high TAM player. Yeah. Uh, as a DP, but a very good performing DP. Oh, yeah. Or, or he's not. A he's a key he's a key thing but a key player for for the but i was just a little bit surprised that at some of the people and and i don't think it's it's not like people changing perspective or, or all of a sudden being like you know oh the, you know we got to have you know massive stars it's literally people saying look we we think we're, we're in a good spot and we know we're good enough to compete to to be in the playoffs and to maybe make that jump into the top four or whatever in the conference. And it feels like the additions don't aren't going to enable that as maybe as easily as I thought last week when I was giving my, my thoughts on, on the, on the, the team in the season. So I was a little surprised at how many people or, or the, 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 not just how many, but the type of people that I saw expressing that view. Cause they're typically more people were like, trust the process you know, um, see the improvement. Let's just keep going in the right direction. We're going in that direction. Hang tight. And now a few of them have been like a little bit more on the, you know, this is this is a little bit disappointing that they haven't added as much as I as I thought they should kind of perspectives. Yeah, and I think the the start against Charlotte and the nature of the performance is probably going to raise some more concerns uh, around that. And it will be a, a good few weeks before we can can kind of really tell. I mean, Axel is looking for more depth. I, I asked him, how, how do you rein in these teams that, like, Miami would love 10 DPs? How do you rein in that ambition to teams that, like Philadelphia, who's always used, and Axel mentioned them there, who bring through the youth? And there there is a place for everything in the league, but you, you just feel that there's definitely a big gulf, but it doesn't necessarily get results. And you kind of need to have just a, a good squad all round. And that's what Axel is now looking at, is he's looking to add more depth. He's hoping to add that depth by the end of the April transfer window closing. He mentioned that initially he was looking at a start and centre-back, but the progression of Laborda has cooled him on that, so that they're quite happy with there. So it's the midfield depth that they're primarily looking at because there is a real possibility that their four starting midfielders oh, yeah. will yeah. all be away at Copa America. Yeah, that's a concern. That's a big concern when you saw that midfield today. Because, I mean, Pedro is probably going to be away with Ecuador. Kubis will be away. Ali and Sam, you would imagine, are the two other starters and they'll both be away. I mean, Ryan Raposo's on the the cusp of maybe going if he had a a, a good season. Well, Vanny, Holter, Vanny thinks he should be there, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Br Brian White, depending on what the US decide to do for Copa, could mm -hmm. be a guy that if he was informed that, that you bring it. Ryan Gold could be away with Scotland. Now, those ones are probably unlikely. But, I mean, it, anything can happen in June. 
Yeah, I mean, you could even see Ranko getting called up a Serbia or something. It's like there's all these possibilities. Well, and uh, Fafa maybe with Haiti for games. And it's a worry. But midfield especially, that depth needs improving. I think we saw it in a, in a couple of games already. But what are the... What are the chances that a like a Jay Herdman or someone else gets gets signed to a, a full a full team? I, I think he will. I mean, he's, he's had his two call ups. He hasn't played yet. Yeah. Um, we were thinking, yeah, is, he's going to play against Toronto in April against his dad. Is there still four call ups and two plays? Two, yes. two, yeah. Okay. As far as I know, I, it was yeah. hard to read through that rules that went on forever. Yeah. I think Clint Irwin had tweeted about it going, this is way too complicated and he's an ex-player. And he's like, I'm reading this and it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I think Herdman will be the guy that they're looking at to, to do. When I spoke to, to his dad last year, his dad had said it's a key season for him. If the Whitecaps didn't offer him an MLS deal, he'd probably look to move on. But then he got that injury, which obviously then set everything yes. back. Yeah. But the fact that he's been in the mix and he's had these two call-ups is promising. I'm very high on Jay Herman. I think he is a good player. But he's another small player that's yeah. quite easily muscled off the ball. But he's got one hell of a shot on him. Well, he's a bit, little bit on the younger side, right? He's still, yeah. he still has time to develop and grow. He needs and, to get in the gym. Yeah. I, I Honestly, when, I, when I, saw the, I saw that he had been signed again, uh, or signed for this game, uh, I was kind of hoping he'd, He'd come off the bench. I, I know think he Levante, might have if they'd been winning. If they were winning, yeah. Levante obviously came, like we talked about, came on and, and provided a spark. But yeah, it would have been nice to see him. But it, it, it will be interesting to see what depth pieces they add, mm -hmm. how many. Again, like you said, what positions, obviously focusing in on potential replacements for the, the Copa era or the Copa uh, segment of the season and um, in the summer. Well, I mean... Axel also said that if they do everything right in April, they're not expecting to be busy in the summer window. Now, that did concern me because you can be pretty certain that the rest of the West is going to be very busy in the, the summer with what's been going on so far with them. So you just hope well, that they can get all the right pieces in place. Especially for clubs who maybe haven't by that time filled the, their DP spots. You, you often see that happening then. Can, uh, can you talk anything about any is anyone potentially going out or is like they want to keep everyone they have well right now no um right, okay. but he did say anything can change teams could come in for any of their players especially maybe in the summer so there could be movement then um you've got to think players like vt and kubis are going to be drawing attention from outside mls and they would be both two big losses so you would hope they would have potential replacements just just in the back burner, just in case. But as yeah. of right now, they're looking to add and not subtract. Not and there might that's even cool. be a hope that Caicedo comes back, but I, mm. I think that's a stretch. I'd love to see him back. I think he's a, a top talent, but yeah. Departures, though. Yes, departures. Mm. After 16 years as a player with the club, Russell Tiber has hung up his boots. Retiring from his playing career to take up a, a front office job with the Whitecaps. It's been long rumoured that this was on the cards, that the Whitecaps have said before. It, the ball was totally in Russell's court. He had to decide, did he still want to be a player? Could he still be a player? Did he just want to be a one-club man? Was a front office job for him at this stage of his career? 
He is still just 31 years old. But Rusty decided that the time was right to curtail his playing career. He didn't really feature much for the club last season. I think his best days as a player were behind him, if if we're being totally honest. He wanted to announce it himself, so he put a heartfelt message out on social media to the fans and also on the, the Whitecaps website, saying, I lived my boyhood dream, I captained the Whitecaps and played for Canada. And he looks back on his career, the, the sacrifices that his parents made that m- made his career possible, moving from Ontario out west at an early age to be with the, the Whitecaps Academy. He thanked the Whitecaps for believing in him. And he said, I thank our fans for their continuous motivation and for sharing this unforgettable experience with me. I thank my teammates for a lasting bond and for teaching me the invaluable lesson of what it means to be a good teammate in life. I thank you all for the great memories. He went on to say that years ago, I made a promise to myself and to our club. I would only be satisfied taking my work boots off when our jersey was in a better place. We've been through the mud together and have had to clean our boots time and time again. Our climb has only made us stronger. Today, I hang my boots proudly, knowing we made good on that promise. It took all of me every day. It was worth every ounce and second. Now I look forward to dedicating myself to a new challenge and even though I won't be wearing our jersey on the pitch this season, I will continue to wear the Whitecaps blue on my collar as I tackle the next chapter of my life. Lastly, to my beloved Caps family, this is not a farewell. I'll see you soon, cheering from the stands, shoulder to shoulder, willing our team to victory as we embark on what promises to be our most historic season yet. Really, really nice stuff there from Rusty. And after playing his whole professional career with the club, Rusty leaves behind him a a string of of personal achievements in the blue and white. He's fourth all-time in appearances for the Whitecaps, 301 overall, scoring five goals and adding 24 assists. He holds the club record for the most MLS regular season appearances at 253, starting 193 of those. He's a three-time Canadian Championship winner with the Whitecaps in 2015, back-to-back 2022 and 2023. He was named MVP in the tournament in 2015, and he holds a record for the most Canadian Championship appearances with 32 He's a two-time Whitecaps Humanitarian of the Year, two-time Whitecaps Jock McDonald Unsung Hero Award, has played with Canada at under-17, under-20 and senior level, two goals and two assists and 27 caps for the senior Canadian men's national team, two-time Canadian under-17 Player of the Year as well in 2008 and 2009, and has played at four Gold Cups for Canada over the years as well. It's a great career that Rusty has under his belt, but it's time now to, to move on. 
So a great servant to the, the Whitecaps, Zach. And I, I don't think it's a huge surprise to, to see him hanging his boots up. We, we knew the offer was on the table. It was up to, to Rusty. I thought he still had some playing time in him. I thought he could have gone to the CPL. But he obviously just wants to be a, a one-club man, move into the front office role so he can still be with the club that he loves. But were you surprised in any way about this? Yeah, I mean, it is nice to to see a player be a one club player. Yeah, we don't get to see that much in football these days. I mean, back back in the UK, you'd have a nice testimonial and everything organised. Like yeah, in Scotland, I don't know how oh, it is no, elsewhere, but in, in Scotland, it's ten years. When you're with a club for ten years, you get a testimonial. Yeah. One of these five guys has it this year. They've got sportsmen's dinners. They've got golf tournaments. They'll have a special game for him. It's always a, a lovely touch. Yeah. I don't know if there's uh, stipulations around duration in Germany, but they definitely do mm. do testimonials. Um, yeah, so I mean, it's it's great that you know he got to play his whole career uh, at one club. I I think I think he's left a, a little bit on the table in terms of his playing career. Obviously, he has an opportunity to um, discover what role he wants to play. In in uh, in the future, off the field, or um, you know, maybe get a taste for some different roles, and and kind of figure that side out. Obviously, he's got lots of stuff going on in his personal personal life um, right now. Yeah, congratulations! Um, he just got engaged, I believe. Yep. Yeah, congrats, Rusty. I, I mean, I, when I think about Russell Tybert, like, yeah, I mean, I I think the first time I saw him train was at SFU in the USL days on my day off. I'd go up and watch training on my own, or uh, I think maybe even with my like with Kirk when he was like a baby or whatever, or like a toddler, an infant. Um, maybe not a baby, <laughs> maybe more like a toddler. Um, but um, and yeah, so I, I remember seeing Russell there when he joined and was part of the USL squad, and I was this excitement over this young player, talented, gifted, you know, come through the residency, can score, can create. Uh, left-footed, you know, all these exciting, all these exciting things, and to see him obviously play in in the US. Well, I don't know if it was USL then or NASL then at the end of the, the just prior to MLS. That that's all hazy. I can't remember which league was which at which time. And then and then yeah, he was uh, a real bright spot in uh, that you know the opening day against Toronto and uh, the first uh, first game in MLS. And then over the years, gotten to just to know him a little bit and uh, um. Yeah, really, I really, really appreciate him. Um, the, I remember the one time you you sent me down to Portland for preseason. Mm. Um, it was the it was the day that it was the day that actually it was the day Carl Robinson told me that the Colombian was coming. <laughs> and um, uh, after and we, that, we, we welcome Felipe. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was different different Colombian. Oh, but, right. uh, um. But um, after that, because I was in a little bit of shock or whatever, I was still just kind of like like lingering around or whatever, and I was about to leave uh, and go out. I don't know the the whatever it was, go out the, the press entrance of, of Portland Park or whatever, PG Park or what? No, it was it was it was Providence Park then. Anyways, um, and uh, Lich, I think it was Lich was there and Rusty were there, and Rusty Rusty was like, yeah, I don't know, just come and hang out in the locker room for a little bit, and so um, yeah, hung out and, and caught up a little bit and. Yeah, I always I had a lot of time for him when when uh, we made a display that he was a part of the the club of destiny based on the city of 
of Destiny Mural in, in downtown Vancouver. He was on it, and uh, we, I think he asked for, he asked if, or we he said, hey, we're just gonna get rid of this. Do you want? Do you want? Do you want this? And so yeah, we we literally gave him that giant thing. I don't know if you ever did anything with it. Oh, he wow. might have cut it out. He might have thrown it out. But um, it was I think him holding the Voyager's cup, if memory serves me correctly. Um, and yeah. Anyways, so I I have I have a, a lot of time for Rusty, and I wish him I wish him all the best in this kind of this next chapter of life. And it'll be interesting to see uh, what role he he takes on and where that leads him. Well, yeah, I Axel kind of addressed a little bit about what that next role could be as he tries to find his feet and decides what career path he wants next. Let's hear what Axel had to say about that. Yeah, so it is uh, it's one of the things that we also have done over the last few years um, to try to um, to keep players in different roles in the club. Um, we, we we speak so much about the sporting side but the club is also growing on, on I would say the community and, and commercial side um, but especially also on the community side and and to do this it is very important also to have people in in the office um, who who uh, actually know the club very well that they uh, people that that have a lot of experience but also faces that that people recognize and and people that can carry culture because if you're a player you 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 actually live the culture every day in the in the locker room that's that's how you become successful having your own culture as a team you know we are very close circle traveling around the whole year and and you you will not be successful if you don't have a good culture and atmosphere so to to have a few more people like that in different roles in the club who are I would say transporting something of that into into other areas of the club is 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 for me very important. Um, and um, so um, maybe uh, you can look at sometimes at the best uh, some of the best clubs in the world. They they have done that uh, um, very successfully, um, where where key figures in the club are former players. Uh, Bayern Munich, for example, is just an example. Willy Hoeneß, Karl-Heinz Rummenigge, Franz Beckenbauer. All have been uh, in important roles of the club. Hasan Salihamidzic, now Max Eberl, they all have played for this club before. So, uh, because for me there is no, I said it from the first moment. For me, there is not the front office and the and the sporting office. We are one club. The the sporting side is the heart. Everyone else is the lungs that put pressures the the, the air into the heart. Uh, that's how a club looks for me. So for the reason we have kept Flo Youngworth as a youth coach, we have um, yeah, kept uh, um, Toss Ricketts, who is uh, playing a tremendous role in, in connecting with the community, and we will do the same with Rusty. Uh, Rusty will stay in this club. Uh, Rusty will have uh, an important role as a liaison between first team and, and the different parts in the office. He is also somebody who has built a lot of community uh, connections over the many years. He's very well connected, maybe better connected than, than everyone else in our organization with indigenous communities, um, as that was also al always something that, that he has uh, cared about uh, very much. So um, um, as you know, that we also continue with our foundation to, 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 to build uh, community relations and also to to um, offer services to underserved communities 
um, he will play an important role in that in that area of the club. So what's his title then? Is it Minister of Culture? Like what? what, what, is, what <laughs> Minister of Culture. Like Transporter. <laughs> Minister of Culture. Oh, Minister. Yeah, I don't, I don't, we can make big titles here. Whatever. <laughs> Chief Cultural Officer. No. CCO. We don't have a title yet. We we have. So his his role then is just a liaison between the the team and and. The rest of the team. Yeah, yeah. You, you know what? We did the same little bit with Toss. Toss started um, in the office, and I think right at the beginning, he, he wasn't 100% sure what, what would be the area mm. that, that yeah. is the best fit for him, where he where he himself uh, sees him. I think then he grew over yet one year into this role. We kept it quite open. Uh, look, said, look, um, for us, it's important that you, that you, that you manage this transition from the pitch to an office role, that you, that you learn about showing up every day in the office and being there and having this working hours, all the things the players have not, um, and, and, and being open-minded and, and look what is really the best thing for you. Um, I only also know that Rusty has a passion in brand um, and there might be uh, that might develop over this, uh, that this will develop over this year. Um, we kept it definitely a little bit open, but he has also some strengths that we already know that we want to use. And uh, it's also, it goes both ways. He, he brings some of the, the culture and the experience from the locker room and what we are building on the spotting side to the office, but also he can connect very well because he was just a player last year. He has a lot of connections with our players. He can also bring some of the things that we are doing on the, uh, for example, on the community side into the locker room and tell players that what Toss also has done very successful, convince, con- not convince, but explain players what we are doing and, 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 and encourage them to, to become part of some of the initiatives we are doing. So good luck to Rusty as he goes on this next stage of his football career in the front office role. For me, I feel he didn't maybe hit the potential that a lot of folk had for him. There was so much pressure put on him. Like when you get given a tag, Canadian soccer Jesus, it's a (laughs) bit hard to kind of really live up to that kind of role and, and tagline that you've been given. But he was a he was a good servant to the Whitecaps, and we've been critical of him on the show over the years. But what I've been consistent in saying is, you could rely on him to be off the bench because you know what you're getting, and you'll get a hard-working guy that put a good shift in. I don't think he was an MLS starter for a number of years now. I do still think he could have given a bit more on the pitch, maybe in the CPL or whatever. But I can't fault him at all. I, I love the idea of a one-club man. We'll, we'll sit down with Rusty at some point, I'm sure, in the coming weeks yeah. and do a, a career retrospective. I would kind of wanted to do that with him before, and he didn't want to do it. Because oh, yeah. he said, oh, I feel it's done. like, yeah, you're writing an yeah. obituary and I'm not done yet. I, I hope we can we can sit down and, and that, get him to talk. Yeah, no, that would be that would be really nice. I I, I still feel like the... The decision, and I can't remember if this was started with Martin Rennie or if it was Carl Robinson or maybe a combination of the two, but I, I really didn't like the the decision to bring him into that kind of central midfielder holding role, even though he had the skills to play the ball and you know keep the ball and distribute and stuff. I I, I know he's not the fastest player. Obviously, he has an engine. That's I think partly why they put him there because he, yeah. he never stopped running. He had running. that one great season under Rennie. 
Yeah. Or, you know, all the assists. Cam- yeah, because he was playing with Camilo and, yeah. and Kenny, Kenny Miller. Yeah. Right? I, I, I was going to say, where did that go? But I guess it's like they both went and that's, that's went, where yeah. that went. But I, yeah, it was like, I, I, when I think about it sometimes, Michael, I think about it like, it's like they, they saw his engine. They saw his number 31. They're like, yeah, he's Bastian Schweinsteiger. We're going to take him from the wing. We're going to put him in the middle and it'll all work out. Mm-hmm. And in some respects it did because he did have some success there. But I, I still, I still have all these, I don't know. I still have questions about what could have been for him had he maintained or had he remained more of an attacking player, whether that was wide or or through the middle, which is always a a difficult spot for a Canadian to play in, in the MLS. Um, but yeah, I, I honestly though, I, I I'm really I wish him well, and yeah, if you if you're able to set up something, I'd love to yeah be a part of talking to him. I think that'd be a fantastic chat. So we'll hopefully get that done in the coming weeks. That is it for the Whitecaps chat for the show. We're going to turn our attention to the rest of the MLS West after this. Hey, I'm Bilal Halbuni, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's the second song tonight from our new album of the month, Aberdeen band The Shaman, and that is the 10th track on their debut album, Drop, released in 1987, The Psychedelic Sounds of Velvet Box. It's an album packed full of tremendous tunes and we're going to be bringing you a few of them over the coming month. So in this part, we're going to turn our attention to the rest of the MLS West. The Whitecaps sit in ninth in the standings after their first game, week two of the 2024 season. It's been an interesting weekend. We'll just touch on a couple of the games, rattle through the scores of the rest. The action started off early. Interesting. Zach, the varying kickoff times yeah, that we're seeing after, this year. After the yeah, singular kickoff. Yeah, because the Whitecats was the only 4.30 game on Saturday. Yeah. After weird. last year's after all 4.30 or 7.30 in your local market or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, ah, oh, this is bizarre. It's it's 
it's nice. I got to watch some games before I left. But then trying to catch up with everything has has been tough as well. But the action did start off with a Western team, Minnesota at home to Columbus. Uh, Not the best game, not the worst game. Entertaining in bits, one all draw. Cucho for Columbus in the 59th, continuing his fantastic form. It's a goal that Dane Sinclair needed to be better on. I don't know how he did not get down to that. Uh, and turn that one away and for folks that's like oh I don't know that Max proposed the guy that's going to take over you've got Dane St. Clair he had a few wobbles last year with Minnesota and I yeah I just thought he could he could do better than that I was hoping for a Columbus win from a Whitecaps perspective the most the more eastern teams that can come and take points at home to the the western ones fantastic but 95th minute it's tied up. Tani Oluwasi, their 2022 draft pick. He was playing with Minnesota's second team last year. Uh, tied it up. A draw. I'm not sure Minnesota deserved it, but a well hard-fought point for them. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, all in all, if you're Minnesota, you got to feel good about taking a point off the champions even at home, or the, sorry, the cup, the cup champions even at home. If my memory doesn't deceive me, though, Michael, too, another thing about this for Minnesota is, like we talked about in the in the, in the preview, the the West Coast, uh, the West Western Conference preview, uh, is I mean they're I think dealing with no Reynoso because he's I believe out injured if I'm if I'm not wrong. He is, and, yes. And, and so again to pick up, I think it was three points last week, and then another one this week, four points of your first two games. I think is not not a horrific start, although they probably would have imagined them to be reversed because I think they won on the road last week. <laughs> Uh, and it got a point at home, but yeah, not not a not a bad start for them. When we did our preview last week, which went down well, I had a a lot of folk uh, message me about it, and they they really enjoyed it as well. If we'd had more time, we'd, I'd have liked to have done an Eastern one as well for one of the extra podcasts. But oh yeah, uh, just finding time, and there's just too many teams at the moment, which is what makes things difficult. But when I was doing it, together, I really. I love the the three word thing. I, I really enjoyed that. I thought I was going to hate it, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it was a lot of fun having Felipe on to oh yeah to do that as well. So I mean, we could maybe do uh, in a couple of weeks an Eastern one, which we've had a chance to to look at it once I'm I'm back and stuff as well. But when I was putting it together, I had was looking at Minnesota. And I was like, oh, Eric Ramsey, the new head coach, but it hadn't been announced. It had just been a rumour. So we had to go with with Knowles being the guy that was in charge. And I was like, I don't know if this Eric Ramsey thing is true or not. But then on Monday, Eric Ramsey was announced as the new Minnesota head coach. Mm -hmm. And what I was going to say, if we had talked about it last week, this is a very bizarre appointment for me. He's a young man. He's 29. He has never been a head coach of a first team at club level. Mm. He's been the assistant at Man United under Eric Ten Hag. Well, stop right there. That's what it is for these for the Americans. That's, yes. what, that's what it is. Oh, that is that, exactly what it that, is. That sells it all for them. Yeah. And even today they were talking about it on the broadcast 
and they were talking about, oh, he, he's coming as the assistant from Man United, coming into the league, so he, he knows his football and stuff, even though he's young, and I'm like, it's a big thing going from being an assistant coach to a head coach. Now, Ramsey's a guy that has not played football at the top level either. And, yeah, he's got his UEFA Pro licence, he's been involved with various clubs, Man United and Swansea and Chelsea, and he's been in charge of academies, he's been assistant coach with the Welsh national team. I think this is a very risky appointment. He needs surrounded by MLS people, I think, to really get to grips with the intricacies of this weird and wonderful league that we have here. Someone someone should introduce him to Tommy <laughs> Maybe he'll come in. <laughs> but, yeah, I I thought Knowles was doing a good job with him from these two games. And I like to see him get a little bit longer just to see if, he, if Cameron could have taken that on. But I've liked how Minnesota's played in these first two games. Mm-hmm. So I'm really curious to see now how they play under Eric Ramsey and how quickly he can get up to speed with, with MLS and being a, an actual head coach as well. But Remember, not having played at the top level is the only thing that's holding you back from being a manager, right? That, coaching licenses, my <laughs> unwillingness to move from the long ball, route one football oh, style, right. my decision for midfielders to just cripple the opponents in the first five minutes. <laughs> Th- those kind of things are holding me back, I guess. You're looking for a midfield of Roy Keynes. I, I, personally, I think they're just discriminating against immigrants, but I, I won't go down that path. Oh, my. Well, I guess they've just appointed Eric Ramsey, and he is an immigrant. So yeah, there that, you go. That's that theory out the window. Danny Sartini is also not from these shores. Okay, my theory doesn't hold up. <laughs> the second game today, which is the other one that I really want to delve into. Oh, yeah. It was meant to start at 11 o'clock. And I put the games on. I said, oh, one o'clock. I which, must have misread that, I thought. Which was noon, noon local time, right? Yeah. yeah. So I thought I had just mis, misread it and because it, it said one o'clock Pacific time. But it had been delayed two hours because of the wind. So the wind subsided. The game started in a wintry mix. It's amazing how many times we can use that phrase. And I was like, oh, that doesn't look nice conditions. That looks cold. Then there was lightning came along. And the game got suspended. And then it eventually started. And by the time it had restarted, the pitch was covered in snow. And it was it was heavy snow. And then it got heavier. And then it got heavier. But there was an orange ball. So weighing it all up. Yeah. Um the uh if you haven't, you need to go see MDS's Instagram post about it. Oh, I haven't. It's like him covered in snow, like on the sideline. There's a, and there's another photo of the players covered in snow, and then he put it, he put it to, to uh, stills from um, on Hoth and Empire Strikes Back, <laughs> and he said something about you know just another day in the job. Unfortunately, it, it was ridiculous. Yeah, like, and he, he's someone who would have experienced that those kind of weather, like that kind of weather in Montreal, right? Oh yeah. Well, I thought that actually when I was watching the game, I was like, oh, Mark will be like, hey, this is just back in the day. The commentators had said, oh, this is a big advantage for RSL. The players live in these conditions, and I said to Caitlin, they might live in them, but they don't play fucking football in them every day of the week. 
That's true. But it, but they did have the advantage. They did have the advantage, and they won three 0 <laughs> All the goals in the first half in Snowmageddon. Two by Andres Gomez, one by Chicho Arango. Afterwards, the LA head coach Steve Chirundolo said the game could have and should have been called off. It was an absolute disgrace to play. It was an absolute joke we had to play today. Which was interesting because the commentator said, oh, LA will be just happy to have this game played. They won't want to hang around for another 24 hours. And I was thinking, are you sure about that? Yeah, yeah. Because, okay, was not, was not, maybe it was Colorado. I'm getting confused now. Was it Colorado or was it Salt Lake when the US were had that like World Cup qualifier? Mm. Do you remember this? this I, the, yeah, the I think it might have been in Colorado. And the Americans are like, no, we're making yeah. this like Central yeah. American. But the, the Whitecaps had play. an RSL game in the snow as well, like a few yeah, years but, back. But it wasn't, wasn't as bad as this. Yeah, it wasn't This as was bad, horrendous. Yeah. Because when the ball was at one end of the pitch, the ground staff were running on the other end, clearing, clearing the snow yeah. and making sure the ball wasn't coming back down. Yeah. And they had to clear the lines constantly. And I wasn't going to watch this game. But it was such a shit show. I was like, oh, I've, yeah. got, I've just got to watch this. It's just, like, in, incredible. There, there was some shots in the second half of Hugo Lloris. And the way that the wind was <laughs> yeah. blowing, half his face was all white with snow and his beard, and the other half wasn't. And I, I thought, he must be like, what have I come to? Yeah. Well, I mean, to be fair, Michael, at least, uh, you know, the league and other opponents have learned a way to stop LAFC this yeah. year. Yeah. I mean, on the plus side, it's great. RSL hadn't won in their first two games, so now they've taken points off LA, so oh, right. I, I, I don't mind the result at the end of the day. I think that's good. Something else the commentator said was, oh, the game just has to get to 75 minutes and this result will stand. I was like... I, I think that's it? true, yeah. No, because no? then five minutes later they said, oh, we've just been told that isn't the case. It has to oh, go okay. the whole 90. I think it's like I think it's like a youth league kind of yeah. That's why I, I know it. I, I for me one one time I was playing a game on a field in a grass field in Surrey in in rec league and we we hadn't got the message that the field was closed due to the the wetness. Oh. So we were playing and they they came and there's like what are you doing? And we're like uh, playing our scheduled match. And they're like no, we sent out a thing and you got to get off here. We're gonna sue you. Blah blah. blah. And the game it was one one. And the game was in like yeah the 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 sixty late sixties or early seventies, and the league was like yeah you played over two thirds of the game we're counting the result, which was wow. which was in a season where we only tied two games and won the rest and that was one of the two games we tied. That that was when that was that was that was when I was coaching David Norman. <laughs> Senior or junior? Oh, I've only ever coached senior man. Paul <laughs> well, David, I've only ever coached David Norman the fifth. There's too many of them. It's very confusing. And and again, uh, Michael, Michael, that's coaching. <laughs> <laughs> um, just el- elsewhere uh, around the West, see if Montreal went to mm-hmm. Dallas and came away with a a two one win. Now I haven't seen any of this game yet. I I don't know much about it. Jules Anthony Villason scored his first goal for Montreal of the year. Uh, Peter Musa tied things up for Dallas in the 45th minute, but Joseph Martinez broke the deadlock on the hour mark to give Montreal a huge 2-1 win and their first mm. ever win in Frisco. Yeah, which 
again, we'll give the, the Whitecaps hopes for going there in a couple of weeks. Yeah, I I like what uh, Laurent Courtois is doing in Montreal. That Joseph Martinez signing could be could something be that really propels them to even maybe a top four team in the East. And and on a player development Canada side of things, it's good to see Waterman uh, marshalling or being a, a significant role in the back line for them there. Wasn't really a, a great weekend for the, the Texan teams. Houston mm-hmm. went down to a, a 2-1 loss to, to New York Dead Bull. Red Bulls. Dead Bull! That, again, I haven't had a chance to, to see much about. I know that Ibrahim scored for Houston in the seventh minute, but Houston dropping points at home is not what they need to do because they are not good on the road. No. The third Texan team did get a good point, a good road point mm-hmm. in Seattle. Goalless draw against Crazy. the Sounders. The Sounders outshot them 22 to 4. Uh, crazy. That's crazy. But good. I mean, Seattle, yeah. Seattle one point out of two games. That's, again, all, another thing that's very helpful for the rest of the league. Yeah. And that is two big points dropped at home by the Sounders. And coming on the back of that defeat to LAFC last week, that, that is not ideal either. Kansas City and Philadelphia played out a 1-0 draw, which, in the grand scheme of things, is a, it's a good point picked up for SKC. They would hope not to, to be dropping points uh, at home, but, I mean, against a good Philadelphia team. St. Louis, 2-0 win over New York City FC, and Colorado getting their first points of the season in a 1-0 draw with Nashville. Portland, 2 DC United 2. This mm-hmm. is a bit of a, a surprise one for me. Yeah. Well, again, we we said you can't take too much away from how Portland thrashed Colorado last week. Yeah, Vanny said Colorado, the same, actually, as well. Yeah, because Colorado's not good, and they're even worse on the road. Yeah. Um, Aspria and Moreno had given Portland a 2-0 lead by the 61st minute before... DC just came storming back with, with two goals in the, the last 20 minutes to, to get that point. And the last game of the weekend for Western Conference teams, the Whitecaps opponents next week, San Jose dropping points yeah. at home in a 3 loss goal. to yeah, the Galaxy. And maybe the Galaxy have turned things around, but they did start off good last year and then dropped off. Mm-hmm. But Pantsil in the 18th minute, Jovalich in the 43rd and then Ricky Pooj in the 48th. He, uh, Pantsel sh- showed some encouraging signs uh, in their game against Miami. I yeah. think he, he could be uh, quite the quality addition for them. So, and and, and Jovalich scoring goals is what they need. He, he needs to he needs to get like yeah 12 to 15 goals for them I think to be for them to do well this season. Well Portland and the Galaxy and St. Louis and Salt Lake and Minnesota are all at the top with four points. Dallas, LAFC on three, Kansas City on two, Vancouver, Houston, Seattle, Austin, Colorado all on one and San Jose yet to get off the mark. It's very early, but it does kind of look again that the East is looking the much, much stronger conference. 
Uh, it's unfortunate to say, but yeah, it's hard to disagree with. Yeah. Can we talk about one Eastern Conference game? Yeah, if you want. The the what time is it game? Oh, <laughs> in, the, in the in the Florida Derby. Oh yes, yeah. See, I, I didn't. I know get you to watched the part end of this. it. I watched part of it. Yeah. It, it that was something else. I will watch the highlights, but yeah. that is, in a derby match, it's like oh. So you had hammering. Two, two goals and two assists for Suarez. Two goals he, from he Messi. Didn't look like the old man he looked last week. No. Two two goals for Messi, one off his chest, one a header. And uh your old your old friend there, uh, Julian Gressel with the three assists. Yeah. I, I like Julian, he's a great player. I still wish we had him here. As someone pointed out, he was probably the biggest loss for, mm-hmm. for the White Caps, but because it was mid season we didn't really yeah, mention that's him true. in the losses. But yeah, he definitely was. And, and he was playing that kind of uh right side of a central midfield three i believe for miami and but with the freedom to get wide and put in crosses and yeah you you can tell he's he's in he's enjoying his football that that's the miami starting 11 you have six kind of like really experienced high level players in there right you have obviously messi suarez jordi alba um uh gressel puskas and uh deandre yedlin like six like veteran relatively high level players right i know there's yeah. probably some some people yelling at at their at their phones me saying that about deandre yedlin but um many years he's been in the premiership and even though he's yeah. a sounder you've got to still tip your hat to me as a good yeah. quality player and then they have yeah up, up and coming young players like taylor and, and yeah it, it, it's uh they didn't look they didn't look tired in this game and man did they just crush their, you know, their state rivals in Orlando? Yeah, Miami, top of the East on seven. Then you've got DC, Columbus, Montreal, the Red Bulls, Cincinnati, Charlotte, all on on four points as well. Atlanta, New England, and New York City, though, still to get off the mark. A little surprised at Atlanta. Thought they had some good additions, but very early days, as we talked about there. Something else just to, to mention about MLS. I take it you saw this this week, Zach. The MLS Open Cup farce rolls on. After all the negotiations, MLS and US Soccer worked together to implement some changes for the 2024 US Open Cup. The agreement will see eight MLS clubs and 11 MLS Next Pro teams in the US Open Cup this year. The eight MLS clubs include Houston Dynamo as last year's Open Cup champions and they got special dispensation because they wanted to be in the Cup as defending champions. They wanted to defend their title. But every every team that was in this year's CONCACAF Champions Cup are not taking part in the US Open Cup. That's Cincinnati, Columbus, Miami, Nashville, New England, Orlando, Philadelphia and St. Louis The only eight teams that are taking part are Atlanta, Dallas, Houston, SKC, LAFC, RSL, San Jose and Seattle. And then nine clubs are represented by their MLS Knicks Pro teams. Austin, Charlotte, Chicago, Colorado, Galaxy, Minnesota, NYC, Red Bulls and Portland. And the only team not in it at all, for no reason apart from not having a two-team DC United. 
It's absolutely shambolic. I, I had actually I hadn't seen that that yet. I saw I've seen obviously in the, the opening games, you've seen many banners uh, across the league, including held by the Vancouver Southsiders uh, uh, today uh, at BC Place. You know, save save the cup or save the U.S. Open Cup. Um, yeah, really, that that's that's uh, horrific and tragic. It, it I. I know U.S. soccer tried to come down hard on them, and yeah, but what you were saying to me, it sounds like this is they've approved this. Like, yeah, it's, it's this that's the format. That's what's yeah. going ahead. That's horrible. M- MLS teams will only play against lower division teams until it's not possible as well. So you can't have it's MLS teams drawn against each other. Ab- absolutely ridiculous. I- I'm I'm shocked to hear that about DC. I'm sure the DC supporters are going to let. The stewards of their club know how disappointed they are at that because I think they value that competition having, mm-hmm. uh, you know, won it in the past, made it to finals in the past. Uh, I think, uh, yeah, where, where did Portland fall on that? Are they in the Portland? Are going to be the Timbers too? Yeah, that's stupid. Yeah. Um, I, I, full respect to Seattle. Like Seattle, they value it. They know their supporters value it. They know it's something they can win. If they if they really if they really wanted to, um, they have a tradition of winning it. It's something that they've, you know, uh, they've they've been a a good spokes spokesperson for the competition as a club. Um, well, th- th- see, this is the ba- bizarre thing that they've done. So they they've said that the eight teams that will be in are Houston as defending champs, and then the top seven ranked U.S. based teams according to Supporter Shield standings other than the teams in the, the Champions Cup, you'd think they would want to do the reverse. So it's the teams that oh, didn't well, it, finish in the top. So that that's the mechanism it. that maybe those clubs didn't have as much of a say. I don't know. It's stupid. It's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. It is. It is it makes a mockery of what is the greatest American yep. football competition that there ever has been and potentially there ever will be. And, oh, it, it does. It, yeah. Because it says MLS teams will only play lower division opponents until it cannot be avoided. But do you know why? To enhance the tournament's drama and yeah. appeal. No. So that no. they don't get knocked out and the, yeah. there's not a little team that makes it all the way through is why. Yeah, it's so it's so dumb. It 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 is so nonsensical. I mean, I don't I'm no lover of Man United, but I think it was horrific the year that they didn't play yes. in the FA Cup because of the the stupid expanded uh Club World Cup. Uh, I still think they should have been forced to or, or made to play a some type of team, you know, and that one round that they would have been or two rounds or whatever it was they were going to be away for. Um, that was ridiculous and should never been allowed to be allowed to happen by the FA. Uh, and here this is uh, I'm sure the USSF is viewing this as a, you know, a compromise. And so they get part of what they want. But this is this is to me is an all or nothing kind of thing and yeah it's it's really really yeah. really really tragic but but when i got the press release i was like what the hell is this it's it, it's so disappointing hopefully this doesn't escalate and we have ridiculous situations in canada i don't think we will because i think the canadian no. teams all want to be in it and the white caps definitely do they've made it clear that they value the canadian championship <laughs> But, like we said last last episode of the episode before that, the Voyagers Cup is not perfect again this year, um, and we obviously we want to, with our voice, use it to 
push it in that direction. Um, but um, at least it is highly valued amongst all the participants and those who long to be participants. Yeah. Well, actually, a, a good thing then to round off this part, I actually asked Vanny this oh, week yeah. about his thoughts on the, the new look format for the Canadian Championship. Here's what he had to tell me. The Canadian Championship draw was obviously made last week and you know one of two possible opponents, but I was more curious what you made of the format of it, like going back to, to two legs, drawing out your already long season, possibly and hopefully into late September now. Um, I like it. I really like it that uh, I, I'm, I'm the one who goes really in, uh, I would say, I'm always saying something that the majority of people don't say. So, you know, I always vote for party that make like 3%. <laughs> so that's, uh, uh, I'm, I really love it that we have this uh, home and away. I also, I also would have loved it that if we would have started from the first round instead of having a bye. Uh, because I think that uh, cup competition, national competition, are fantastic when a big team like the White Cups of CF Montreal or Toronto goes to play in the house of a, of a CPL or, or even a League One team to have a real, have a, to have a great day, a great uh, uh, attendance with, so they can make us a little money. This club that are a little smaller, uh, small, smaller than us, and. Uh, we can all see how beautiful is the development of this, uh, the soccer in this country. So I, I'm really happy that we're going to face uh, either Calvary or uh, I would say, or having our the first uh, ever derby against Vancouver FC in the second round. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm happy that we'll be also in the, uh, if we qualify, we'll, we'll have another set, two legs in the semifinal. Also because I know that we won in the first, uh, in the first, uh, you know, in the single elimination uh, thing. But I think that at the end, if you play two games for each round, excluding the final, really the best team uh, of the competition will be the winner. So, I mean, Vanny there, Zach, he, he loves the, the new format because he feels there's more games for the teams to play, which will give a true winner at the end of it. And he'd have been quite happy if the Whitecaps were in from the first round so that everyone's on a level playing field. And if you play more games, then that will get the true winner. I, kudos I quite, to, quite admire that. Yeah, kudos to Vanny on his uh, perspective on that. Yeah, I think that... I like like we said, single elimination and uh everyone in from from the beginning as much as as much as possible. Um yeah. yeah. We'll, hopefully we'll get hopefully we'll get there in a year or two. Well that is it for the MLS chat. We're gonna turn our attention to Canadian soccer. There's been more news coming out in the Canadian soccer off the pitch landscape, and we'll take you back to nineteen seventy four after this. I'm Ryan Raposo, and you're listening to the AFTN Show. We're 
pack lives down the local drain. King Kong built a car inside his brain. You tell me who's the sexiest bug? Why it's Gardenia and the mighty slug. Oh, Doug Henry lost an ear when he crossed my path. Called himself Jesus, well, that's what he said to me. Never seen a freak look as weird as you, except for Gardenia and the mighty slug. Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM, brought to you in partnership with RecoveryFamilyLaw.ca. And we've taken you back to 1974 to kick off this part. T-Rex, Mark Bolan, the final track from their ninth studio album, Zinc Alloy and the Hidden Riders of Tomorrow. It was released on March 1st, 1974. And that was a song, one of really only two songs from that album that you can kind of find on some of Mark Boland's greatest hits albums. The song was The Leopards featuring Gardenia and The Mighty Slug. It's a very weird album. That's a very weird song to end the album and not one of my favourite T-Rex albums, but there wasn't a lot of songs that was released this week and any excuse to play a Mark Boland or T-Rex song in our 1974 rundown, I will take that. Elsewhere, music-wise, this week in 1974, a song I'd never heard before, but I'll listen to it this week. Spiders and Snakes by Jim Stafford. It hit the number one spot in the Canadian singles chart this week, 50 years ago. A A country song. It's apparently described as swamp rock. Gotta say, not for me. Apparently it did chart in the UK as well, reaching, I think, number 13 or number 14. There was a lot of what I would describe as not great music in the Canadian charts in 1974. Also, I guess, really in the UK charts as well. Paper Laces, Billy, Don't Be a Hero, hit the number one spot in the UK this week 50 years ago with Terry Jacks' Seasons in the Sun, still the number one song in the US Billboard. Hot 100. No Whitecaps news again this week to report from 50 years ago. Jim Easton was still over in the UK trying to get players on board for the team. It's going to be another couple of weeks before we start to get the Whitecaps news up and running and it, then it starts to come pretty thick and fast in the build-up to their first match in the NASL season and the player announcements will start to come thick and fast as well. But if you want to tie all this in with some kind of football theme, the the song we played to kick off this part, The Leopards by T-Rex, 
it does tie in with a very famous footballing moment at the 1974 World Cup. Zaire, as they were then, the Democratic Republic of Congo, as they are now, played in the World Cup for the first and only time in 1974. Their nickname is the Leopards, and possibly one-off, if not the most iconic moments from that 1974 World Cup in Germany was Zaire against Brazil. It's a free kick for the Brazilians, and Muwepu Elunga runs out of the wall, kicks the ball away before Brazil can take the free kick, gets a yellow card, and I think that's just a, a moment anybody that knows stuff about that World Cup will remember, and the Zaire jerseys that day had a big leopard on the front. But from the past, we're going to bring you right bang up to date with the present as Canada Soccer finally have their new General Secretary and CEO. After naming former MLSE executive Alison Walker as General Secretary of Canada Soccer back in December, she decided not to take on the job after all and the search continued before the position was finally filled this week by Golf Canada's Chief Sport Officer, Kevin Blue. Blue has experience in commercial, sport and chief executive roles and he's been in his role with Golf Canada since 2021 where he's helped to drive over $20 million in new financial support for the national teams and grassroots programming, something I'm sure is what Canada Soccer is now hoping he can do for them in the football side of things. Previously, Blue was a college sport executive in the United States, where he held the role of athletics director at the University of California, Davis, and as previously at Stanford University as well, overseeing big money projects at both of those universities. He comes to Canada Soccer with great business experience, experience in sport, but not in soccer. So another non-footballing appointment, Zach. Is that important for the top spot in Canada Soccer? Or does he just need to make sure that he surrounds himself with football and people and takes advice from those people with, with soccer knowledge i think it's great that he has experience from the corporate sporting world like that that will be helpful for sure i think it is a deficiency though that he is not a, a football person uh, as a listen to people talk about what would be helpful uh, often they mention people who understand football the football culture the football world uh would would obviously be a huge a huge asset in this role and so yeah his experience will, will was a is a is a is a positive for him it checks one box his lack of of being a football person or, or being connected to that that world is is a check in a, another book yeah. a check on the other side of things for him it, right the post cons right it does baffle me though how so many of these Canada soccer appointments over the years are, are not football people is it just that we don't have these people in Canada in these positions. But how are you going to get these people without them getting into these positions? It's 
I do wonder how, how much it is. Yeah, are there not football people who have the right type of whatever education yeah, the or business experience? side? Like they might yeah. have the football knowledge, but they don't have the business side. Yeah. So is it more I, important for them to get the business and corporate experience and the football side because there'll be other folk around them? Yeah, and I'm fully, I fully admit I'm speaking out of arrogance or ignorance on that. Mm. Like I'm, I don't and, know. And arrogance. <laughs> it is, it is interesting though, and I think it, I, I think it is a deficiency. But how much or what, what will that mean? What's the you know the the the, the result of that? We will, we will know for for quite some time, I'm guessing. Well, blue. Issued a letter to Canadian soccer fans following his appointment, and in it he said, "As you all know, there are a number of opportunities for soccer in Canada on the horizon, both on the pitch and for the general trajectory of Canada in global football." There are also several challenges to be addressed that will require urgent and skillful work. Possibly a slight understatement there, considering all the challenges that have come to light off the pitch in the last two years surrounding the game we all love here in Canada. Blue continued that to that end, today, I can make the following three commitments. One, as a newcomer to the soccer community in Canada, I will work diligently to earn your trust. I will do this by listening to you and learning from you, by seeking out excellent people with world-class football technical expertise and by communicating with you regularly in a straightforward and transparent fashion. Two, at Canada Soccer, we will look in the mirror and make the reforms necessary to get our house in order. Our federation will be governed and will operate with exemplary professionalism required to address current challenges and leverage upcoming opportunities for soccer in our country. And three, we will work with determination to unite all stakeholders behind the common objective of making sure soccer in Canada is successful and growing, from grassroots up through the national teams. This work includes collaborating across stakeholders to build a stronger commercial and philanthropic structure to support our sport nationally. He goes on to say, The work ahead is substantial and we will resolutely focus on making progress one day at a time, rebuilding trust in Canada soccer and ensuring that the association is healthy, competitively, financially and operationally. And he says that is critical if Canada is to take advantage of its upcoming opportunities domestically and on the world's biggest stages. Broadly, as a soccer community, from coast to coast to coast, our success in the next few years is pivotal if we are to solidify the importance of our sport in the overall Canadian economic, cultural and sporting landscape. There are 146 days until the Olympic Games, and 833 days until the 2026 World Cup. And many other important milestones are there along the way. We have urgent work to do, and everyone who shares the passion of our game needs to come together as partners. And I've got to say, I really like what Kevin Blue has said in that letter. He's ticked all the areas that you want to address, because Canada soccer does need to get the trust back because the trust is gone 
from the playing side, from those involved in the game, from supporters, from media, they have to get that back. And they do have to get their house in order. It's not going to be an easy job. He does have to surround himself with the right people. There's a lot of work ahead. There's no shying away from that. He also wants to hear from people as well that want to share their vision and what needs to change in the game in this country. And if you're listening to that and you're wanting to get in touch and you want to share it, get in touch with Kevin. You can email him at ceo at canadasoccer.com. And I've got to say, Zach, this is the kind of openness, the willingness to work with people that we have been asking for. Lots of people have been asking for. And hopefully it's not just talk. Hopefully it's going to see action as well. But so far, everything he's saying fills me with a lot of positivity for what is to come and the road ahead. So I, I like what, what Blue has said there. He's ticked all the areas you want to address. He says they need to get the trust back, and they do. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's, it's gone from many. I mean, yeah. it's feels at times it's not ever going to come back but I mean it has to otherwise the the game is well and truly fucked here it's not going to be an easy job he knows it he knows he needs to surround himself with the right people and he wants people to get in touch with him and to share their thoughts and what what direction they want to see things go and that's the kind of openness and willingness to work with people that we've been asking for and hopefully it's not just words and we'll see action, but it fills me with some, some real positivity for the road ahead if if he is willing to be open and take on stuff like this. Yeah, I think, again, I think it's positive because it does portray transparency um, and, and openness, like you say, at least on some level. I, I, I think saying what he said also you know, it's a little bit scary because if you're asking for people's perspective on this, oh, I'll be sending an email. <laughs> yeah, they're going to be happy to give it to you, and a lot of it's going to be, unfortunately, I think, quite critical slash negative. And yeah, th- that could be some pretty depressing reading for him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we will genuinely shoot him an email because we'll try and, and get him on the show. Mm-hmm. But he is saying all the right things, so that's positive, yeah. and. The day after his appointment, he issued another statement confirming that the search for a new permanent Canadian men's national team head coach is ongoing, yep. saying, this is a major priority for our organisation and I will immediately continue the work that our team has already started. To do this, I will be relying on a variety of perspectives from soccer experts within and around our sport. So that's us. Uh, that <laughs> includes players, alumni, administrators and other expert stakeholders. That's where we come in for their consultation throughout this process he said Biello is still in the mix for the job and importantly don't believe the reports you read online about who's possible candidates mm, interesting mm. so we'll, we'll see what happens but anyway welcome to Canada Soccer Kevin the, Blue the blue who's leading Le Rouge yeah, that is a a fun thing. You th- thought they could have got somebody rouge, surely, or red, or red. scarlet, or well, what's what's red green up to these days? Is he not dead? 
Oh, is he? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. You know who Red Green is? <laughs> no. Oh, that's a Google that, Michael. The Red Green Show. Ah. It's okay. that's a piece of Canadian. You know how you you know how you always on these shows you're always like, let me tell you about this show that I grew up with in Scotland. It bag was puss. I still haven't uh, found Caitlin's bag puss, which is uh, ironic the day that the click came to town. Oh my goodness. The the um Red the Red Green Show is a very Canadiana show. That does sound familiar. I've never yeah. seen it. But... Yeah, I, I and I say that I say that I don't I don't I didn't watch every episode or whatever. And I say that I, I you know often when you talk about shows from when you were younger and you say hey they, they're canceled now or they yeah I, I don't know if there's anything offensive in Red Green that I should be notifying you about. But anyways, oh well, me trying to find yourself. some songs from 1974 that I can play some of the weeks. It's like well I can't play that when he was in prison. Yeah yeah. yeah. No, anyway. I think I think Red Green is fine, but I don't know. Well, that is it for the football chat and the Canadiana chat, but it's not it for the show. We're going to finish with this week's wavelength, and you know what it is, Zach. It's our favourite oh. time of the year. <laughs> it's Football Violence Awareness Month, March. Get your ribbons ready, everybody, because <laughs> we are back with a month load of songs dedicated to football violence and football hooliganism. Obviously, we do not condone football hooliganism. Except for there was that one year that you did. Yeah, but... that one year that I made that slip <laughs> that started all this. We don't condemn it either. <laughs> Each to their own. Oh, Michael. Oh, wait to go and get me my new t-shirt quickly. Oh, no. This will be great podcast audio as I disappear for two minutes to get a t-shirt. Yeah, what? You're wearing a t-shirt? No, I meant to put this on. Oh. And I forgot because it's to celebrate the month. It is. <laughs> Are you going to wear that? Yeah, I'm going to wear it over to Scotland. So for those oh. of you not watching the show, which is everybody <laughs> apart from Zach and me, it's a, a t-shirt that says football hooligan with a guy holding two flares. Oh, it's a person, Michael. That could be a, that could be a woman. It looks more like a Centaurin, I have to say, but yeah. So I might wear this on my flight. Let's see how do how well do going through airport security. <laughs> I would not recommend that. <laughs> going I might to the just UK do it for a joke and see what happens. Yeah, you don't. I'm going to get my head shaved tomorrow, so that will really tie in with it. No, Michael, you do not want to. Why would you cause any kind of? <laughs> yeah, you don't want to cause any kind of issue with border security people. The if I hear a glove click. <laughs> My, yeah, I mean, when I go through the border and I'm going to a football match, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I typically am wearing something that goes with that football match and like, yeah, scarves I, I'm usually, I'm like, usually carrying the Cascadia cup and then we get taken inside <laughs> for an hour. <laughs> Do you remember the, there was actual, it was part of the broadcast. They like showed us walking into the section. Do you remember that? I didn't know we were on the broadcast. That oh, was a I think, great. I'd love being I, on the pitch at the end, handing it think, over and stuff. I think my my friends in Portland told me that yeah, we were actually like there was a clip of us on the broadcast when it came into the stadio. <laughs> when we were late and we had to find parking at the last second. Oh yeah, yeah. so many good trips. Those to Portland. were the days. Yeah, I need to get need to get back down to Portland again this year. Anyway, back to finishing the show. Oh, yeah, this episode's good. wavelength. It's football violence awareness month. We're going back to a song. From 2020, from a band we've played before, Sir Robert Orange Peel. If you remember them, 
There's a lot of instrumentals with samples from commentary in amongst them, and that's what this one is. It's sampling commentary from the infamous Luton-Millwall FA Cup game stroke riot at Kenilworth Road in 1985. Mm. This is Sir Robert Orange Peel, Casuals. So Robert Orange Peel, Casuals, taken from their album Arthur Fowler's Christmas Club. You can find that on Bandcamp and that kicks off this Football Violence Awareness Month. We've got more fun songs coming up. I bet you can't wait, Zach. We'll see if I make it home in my t-shirt. I'm guessing that match is one of those ones I've seen the videos where like the the... The bobbies are on horses and just like hitting people as a goal. Yep, all yeah. the Millwall fans are ripping all the seats out of the yeah. stand. That's basically what led to all the... All-seater stadiums? Well, Hillsborough more led to the all-seater. Oh, it's yeah. what led to the all the... It kind of goes hand in hand because it led to all the fences going around and folk oh, being caged yeah. in, which then obviously led to Hillsborough and right. stuff. And so, yeah, it it... I was watching that game live on BBC and it was just, it's one of the most insane bits of, of football violence at, at a football match in the UK, at least. I know there's been horrific things elsewhere with, with deaths, but we obviously celebrate it with tongue in cheek. And there's just, there's a lot of bands that have songs about football violence and we tongue bring them to you here at AFTN. Tongue in cheek in your t-shirt. 
Yes. That's what I'll tell the the security guards don't, at the airport. Don't do it, man. You don't do it. You don't you don't want them to be like, uh, sir, uh, can you wait here? We just need to check the list. <laughs> we just need to cross cross examine your your passport with the list of football hooligans who are not allowed to travel. Or... It's like he looks like one with a shaved <laughs> head. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that is it for the show. Just before we go, any final thoughts from you? Anything fun? caught your eye this week apart from my t-shirt you can find me on x occasionally xing them um uh at zachary am uh and i've finally gotten back to to writing a little bit for the website you have hopefully i'll do some more but um they always say you know write or talk or whatever about what you know about so yeah and what you love i that's what i actually when when prospective writers get in touch with me and I say, look, I don't care how often you write for us or what you write for us, just write from your heart because then it'll be a lot easier for you. So to that end, uh, because I no longer partake in, in creating and deploying MLS TIFO, I thought I'd write and share thoughts and perspectives on MLS TIFO. So I did a little uh, thing and that we're probably going to just do monthly because I think weekly might not be the most meaningful. Yeah. Um, so we'll do monthly, but so there's a February article on, uh, obviously there's only like one match day plus one game, but, uh, just on some of the visual displays, uh, that, uh, that, uh, took place in MLS. So take, take a look at it. If, if you love to read, there's some reading you could do there. If you just want to see some images, there's link, links to images. And yeah, if you have thoughts, perspectives, you think, you think, uh, my ordering of things is trash. Yeah. Right. Write it right in the comments or, or exit at me. What do they call? Is it they call it Xing now? I don't. What do they call it? I don't know. Is it still tweeting on X, on I, X. I, I still tweet. I, yeah, I still yeah. like to call it Twitter. There you go. Anyways, be be in touch on that if uh, if you find that interesting as well. Yeah, it was it was good. I'm looking forward to, and, and, to seeing. And these. I don't know if you saw there at the bottom, Michael, but uh, I've also created a hashtag, uh, hashtag AFTN, T O, T O T M. So. AFTN TFO of the month. So if you use that hashtag, it's too close to Tottenham for my liking. But yeah, well, yeah, well, yeah, okay, whatever. Um, but use that hashtag, and I'll we'll, we'll follow that. So we, if you see stuff, because there's lots to see. Yeah, because I, I often miss missed. a lot of the, the yeah. Because you'd ask me today, or oh, was there TFO? I was like, I don't know. I was eating my chicken strips. <laughs> um. So yeah. Anyways, if you see stuff, use that hashtag, and I'll it'll help me find stuff and see stuff maybe that I wouldn't otherwise. So. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, yeah, for me, Big Dick Energy is going strong in Methyl. East Fife still unbeaten under Dick Campbell, and we could even be pushing for the playoffs. The team that's directly above us, we play this coming Saturday at home. I'll be at the game. May even be doing some commentary on the game. That's TBC still. I will be over in Scotland for the next couple of weeks, but we'll still be bringing you shows. I've already recorded half of them with all the interviews that we've done. So we've got some fun stuff coming up. A lot of good interviews. We'll be bringing you chats with Elage Ba from Vancouver FC, Stuart Ooh. Neely, the new League One BC commissioner, Bilal Halbuni, the Whitecaps edition, Matthias Laborda, some stuff from Vanny, and also Axel Schuster, some more stuff from his media round tables. I could probably bring out two, three air podcasts every day for the next couple of weeks, but I'll spare you that. We will be back with another episode soon, though. 
Until then, as always, thanks for listening. Take care and mon the caps. Going to your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life.